Attention! Movie guys love movies. Any comments about Brexit are purely for entertainment purposes only. Brexit. What's his superpower? Brexit, right? One of Charles Xavier's British yeah. mutants. Right? Yeah. He has the power of leaving. <laughs> he exits. He can turn anything into an exit. He yeah, can he walk can, out the door and... He can take any union and bust it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all the talk, He man. can make one, two. Well, I guess Jason Voorhees can do that, too, but yeah. I wish I knew who to credit for this. My apologies to the person who came up with it, but someone said Brexit was one of the lost Palin kids. Ah, that's such a Palin kid name. Yeah, somebody, ah. somewhere in real time, perhaps, Bill Marshall. Awesome. I, I enjoyed that. Brexit. <laughs> Brexit. Uh, hey, uh, welcome to the Movie Showcast, everybody. Part of the vast and sprawling Movie Guys empire. And remember, if you were happy every day of your life, you wouldn't be a human being. You'd be a game show host. <laughs> You've reached ground zero for all things movies and comedy. We bring the two together right here on our show every week with rants, sketches, previews, characters, jokes, bits, banter, special guests, and more. It's a jam-packed show, and you can expect that in the next hour or so as we broadcast from our studio, the Admirals Club, in the heart of Burbank Airport's flyover zone. Every week, uh, we bring you a brand new show absolutely free, and we encourage uh, you hey, to... Hey, I have a question for you, Paul. Yes. I wasn't able to go to Coinstar before the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was just wondering, uh, is there any way I could get this entertainment tonight without having to go to the Coinstar? It's interesting that you should bring that up in Bart's stead. Yes. Uh, as the show is free. We often what? remind him every show. That Did Bart free. email you that? Yeah, no, line? I just came out okay. of my butt, but it sounds like a Bart <laughs> it line. Sounds like the coin star, yes. <laughs> uh, the show yeah, is free, so you know that works out for you. It works out poorly for us. Oh, uh, but we encourage you also to follow us on social media at the Movie Guys on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, which is also free. And please get interactive. Yell at us about stuff. Someone actually complimented us. Why? Good. Actually, that mostly <laughs> happened. No, they, but actually, I mean, yeah, it, yeah that mostly happened. What did they nice. say? Uh, they just wanted it. They, they said, who does all that editing with all the audio bits? That's um, a nice that's addition you to the show. That is a signature. Notice how he show. mentioned the compliment of the thing he specifically does. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thanks. Mike. I yeah. highly doubt they said, and also Adam makes good references. <laughs> you know, like I doubt they said that. So I think Paul's probably just legitimately. <laughs> oh, hey, and also I want to remind the people back in uh, my hometown, WRFA, that we are indeed coming back in October. So if you want to come down and watch a taping of the show in Jamestown, please contact me mm-hmm. at The Movie Guys. And also, if you are a filmmaker and you'd like to have us review some of your stuff or talk about one of your movies, we could do that too. For sure. Yep. For sure. Do uh, it. More info on that will be uh, brought to you, of course, still a few months away, many months away. Yeah, but, but if uh, we wanted to like see something, maybe we could get it. Think about it. Yes, yeah, so you can set us stuff. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you don't know about us, just search the movie guys on Google, Yahoo, or. Bang! Bang! And we come right up. Uh, I'm your host for the hardest working comedy show on the airwaves, Paul Preston, here with Adam Witt. We all have our little faults. Mine's in California. And Karen Volpe. Dr. Marvin, I'm sailing! I sail! Regular host Bart Caius is out of town this week. and uh, But sitting in his chair the whole show, and this week's special guest is a real movie guy, director of the f- uh, film fan classic Free Enterprise. If you're a movie fan, you're going to love that movie. And it's uh, been a classic for many, many years. Uh, he's also produced uh, other features, DVDs, Blu-rays, TV specials. Robert Meyer Burnett, everybody! Thank Fantastic. You. Thank you. We're going to call you Rob. You know, uh, my mother lives in Hackensack. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Nicely Sorry, done. That was a silent. You have to go to YouTube for that <laughs> one. That's a silent finishing of that line. <laughs> Otisburg. Otis. <laughs> we got poor Mike Nichols over here, Rob Burnett. Yeah. Uh, well, the reason I use my name professionally, right? Robert Meyer Burnett, is yeah. because everyone mistook me for the much more successful and 
and wealthier Rob Burnett. Is that what he used to? Well, now that he's dead, it doesn't happen as much. Look, I, I'm the Highlander here. <laughs> hey, it's Mike Nichols on the outside <laughs> hey, voice. Hey, I'm Mike Nichols. It's Mike J. Nichols. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah, Hello. Uno. Yeah, he's <laughs> sitting in over there. Now, before we go in depth on Rob's career, we want to bring you what we bring you every week here with our patented movie previews. Yes, we will prep you for what's coming out in the theater with spoiler-free previews. We've watched the trailers, not the movies. Yes, yeah, some right. cases Paul forced us to watch the trailers. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like you, listening or watching. So based on that, we present you a thorough once-over of everything that's going to be coming out July 4th weekend. It's a huge weekend, so that includes the BFG. The Purge, election year, The Purge, no doubt a sequel to The Binge. That'll be big here in L.A. (laughs) And later in the show, let the Harambe jokes commence. We will never survive. I have done all I can to protect my family. Today, I buried my wife. Now I fear for my child. It's the Blum. Legend of Tarzan, which sounds like a horrendously depressing movie. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, there's a lot of boom, boom, boom. That's oh, it's also, it sounds amazing. very important. Oh, it's really important. Yes. Jungle drums. You know, jungle drums. Kind of a jungle drum thing going there, maybe. Yeah, it's, yeah. It could be it's a, it's a good, like, jungle drum, yeah. I did expect a boing. It wasn't a really. Boing. Mm. I, I think that they should give the kid to King Louie, like Christopher Walken's yeah, King yeah. Louie from the Jungle Book. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of... That would be fun if you were a kid. Is that Crossover? the last Tarzan we had? The Disney's Tarzan? Golly, I haven't kept track. No, there was like straight-to-video ones. Like Casper Dan- Van Diem was in one like oh. five years oh. ago or something. I, I, I think. How I believe you. <laughs> the Disney Tarzan was good. Yeah, it was. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never saw it. It's one of the Glenn Keane, um, you know, even that late in his career as a brilliant Disney animator, was mm. inventing ways to shoot that movie. Yeah. He had multiple layers of things lined up, and you could do like a deep focus, oh, yeah, they really... shoot through, fly through the trees thing. It just was yeah, crazy was... For, for 2D animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the little pullback technique that they showed off in a couple like Lion King and stuff, yeah, they really did go kind of full on with that that sort of completely going into and out of, yeah. Yeah, and now... Uh... And what's his name? Alexander Skarsgård. Skarsgård. Now we have that. Who looks like he's made of CGI. Uh, Oh, a quick announcement here. Uh, Matt Condy, former guest of the show, want to make an announcement for him. If you live here in L.A., he's hosting something called So You Think You Can Improv, July 14th, (laughs) 7.30 p.m. Now, we're all improvisers. Yeah. Yes. So And we are. Yes, and. (laughs) Very nice. I like that. Uh, Heighten it. it quick. If you go to Studio 4 L.A., that's at... uh, 11,100 Magnolia Boulevard in NoHo on July 14th. He's hosting an open stage. So if you want to improvise. Holy cow, that'd be oh. fun. We should all do that. It's on a Wednesday. I'd... Can we go to that? Yeah, it's free. All right, rock and roll. That is a Thursday, I believe, July Good, 14th. Because we're not here just, you know, doing this doing show. Doing the Aberrant, yeah. yeah. I just took my first improv class. Hey, how's that forever. going? It was great. Yeah, was, I, I, I bet you're good at it. I'm okay at it. Yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad. Rich Tellerico, correct? Yeah, yeah. Rich yeah, Tellerico. Awesome. We'll get him on the show. He's great. He's great for review. Right now. So that's Matt Condy, who I uh, improvise with down in Orange County at the Improv Schmimprov show in Fullerton. Yes. So you think you can improv July 14th. Absolutely free. If you've never done it before, it's a welcoming thing. You go up, you just give it a shot. Give yeah. it a shot. It's free. 
no I charge. should take the boobays. Wouldn't that be interesting? There you go. Never be nervous to improvise because it's the other person's job to make you correct. That's, that's the that's brilliance it. of the form, <laughs> yeah. right? That's why you always work with Scott Adsit. Yeah, well, if oh you can God. work with Scott Adsit yes. or Rich Talarico, that, that works out well. <laughs> Thank you, Kowski. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to our first film of the big weekend. It is the BFG. With a title like that that doesn't say much, this seems like a good time as any to play another round of... Guess What It's About! All right, so with that, guess what it's about, where the movie guys around our table here try and guess what a film is about simply by its mm. title. It's rarely successful, so... The BFG. <laughs> what do you guys think? Uh, maybe it's a cartoon classic version of Tom Hanks' classic movie? No, that would be the B.I.G. Oh. It's totally ah, different. So oh, close. wait, wait, wait. It's a children's adaptation of the Tracy Letts story about insects and a war vet in a hotel. You're thinking of B.U.G. B.U.G. These, those are words. Oh, so O.M.G. W.T.F. is up with the B.F.G. <laughs> I, I know, I know. The notorious B.F.G. That's not even close. Yeah. Big fugly oh. giant? Okay, let's just get to this. <laughs> Strip the jokes. Okay, Karen, let's tell people about uh, the B.F.G. proper like. Here we go. From Walt Disney Pictures, the number one name in family films, and Steven Spielberg, whose movies not named Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, or Munich, have thrilled children of all ages, comes a sweet family-friendly adventure about child napping. <laughs> According to a magical legend, if you leave your curtains open at night, an old man will come in and take you away. Well, that happens in real life, too. Magical legends aside, lock your windows, kids. As I'm sure Elizabeth Smart wishes she had an adventure with a giant. <laughs> Sophie, played by Ruby Barnhill, is stolen from an orphanage where she lives by a giant and taken away to giant country where everything is oversized. You mean Arkansas? Fattest state in the country? <laughs> no. The she Shaquille O'Neal Fertility Clinic? Oh, oh, yeah. oh. oh, my God, no. I hope that doesn't even <laughs> exist. That's horrible. No, she's taken to giant country, which is somewhere where giants live. I'll bet it's Arkansas. What kind of a monster are you? Bone cruncher. Child chewer. Meat dripper. Gizzard gulper. Butcher boy. Please don't eat me. You think because I'm a giant that I'm a man gobbling cannibal? Well, no, actually, it was because of all those things you just said when I asked you what kind of monster are you? <laughs> but once their communication issues are cleared up, uh. Sophie and the BFG set out on an adventure to capture the man-eating giants that have been invading the human world and eating all of the children. Oh. Now, when we say adventure, what we really mean is that Sophie is used as bait so that the BFG can capture the other man-eating giants. The giant speaks, speaks English, but based on the incomprehensible trailer, it doesn't seem that way. Here, just listen to a couple of clips. Because I hear your lonely heart. I was hearing all the secret whisperings of the world. Does you have any little pet? Dazzle Hazzle. The BFG appeals to children okay. of all ages, particularly those old enough to make up dirty things for those letters to mean. Did the title Big Friendly Giant actually not test well? You do realize the teens of today have acquired Sharpie technology. <laughs> the friendly giant is played by Mark Rylance, star of Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. It was a performance powerful enough to not only win him the Oscar for Best Sporting Actor, but proving to Hollywood that he could move up to the coveted role of having dots all over his face. Will the BFFs in the BFG be a BFD and have audiences R-O-T-F-L-O-L? <laughs> I-G-W-S-O-S-W. What does that mean? I guess we'll see. 
Or someone will. <laughs> there you go. That's BFG. <laughs> Spielberg. Spielberg. Summer. Here we go. Not enough big deals made about Spielberg and I summer know, movies right? anymore. It just, it, yeah, yeah. Spielberg's just become sort of a thing that happens. Bridge of Spies, what, October? Lincoln? Before we see these kids' movies. not enough Jaws in this movie. No, I'll give you that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think there's enough 1941 in this movie. I agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there might be just enough 1941 <laughs> yeah. in this movie. <laughs> I feel there's a little E.T. in this movie. Well, it's it actually feels more hook kind of like like yes. like we're in the middle of a, a sort of a, a classic tale, which the book is. But you know that that sort and of that, Spielberg treatment of like a yeah uh, you know a classic. Tra- I was not a fan of Julia Roberts' hair in that movie. You know, pixie cut, not your thing. Not, well, no, it was horrible. <laughs> for her. horrible her hair movie. is like ninety percent of her Come signature. Come on. Uh, anyway, I don't know. No. I, did anyone read this? No. The BFG. Yeah. I did not, but I'm a huge fan of Roald Dahl's work. I know. Yeah, I love yeah, Danny the Champion Dahl. of the World. I love the Willy Wonka. Yeah. He actually wrote an interesting uh, collection of short stories called Switch Bitch Ooh. that I actually bought in an airport with Harlan Ellison. I know. Wait, right? wait. You were in the airport with Harlan Ellison yes. and you were both were perusing we, books? We were in, we were in a there was a used bookstore. I want to say it was in... Milwaukee. That's impressive. It was where Laverne and Shirley would live. Sure. You know, and, and, and they had a used bookstore, and I went and, and I figured I have to buy something impressive because it was Harlan yes, Ellison. Yes. And he did indeed. He did indeed. He goes, What would you buy? And uh, I said, Well, I found this hardcover of Roll Doll's Switch Bitch. He's like, That's fantastic. Good for you. And I'm like, Man, if I can get Harlan Ellison to say something nice. Right. Wow. Wow. That was good. I, but, read, I read his Henry Sugar, and that was part of a big compilation of short stories as well. And then he did, of course, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Yep. With the, the James and Giant Peach. Vermicious Knids. Indeed. The aliens. There was, said. He wrote a sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I don't oh, think I Charlie that. and the Great Glass Elevator rules. It takes place in outer space. Oh. <gasps> <gasps> I love how kind of mean Roald Dahl would be, too. Oh, like he, giants he, he, eating children. Yeah. Yes. I love it. <laughs> the Witches. You see the movie The Witches? It's based on his. Oh, is that based on his? Yeah. Yeah. It's based on his stuff. A long time ago. Oh, the one where Bette Midler's yucking it up? Is yeah. Sarah that no, one? No, it's not that one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's no. Angelica Houston. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Who would be more scary, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Eastwick? No. No, but no, that's, that's, a, that's a third witch movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like that witch Practical magic? We could go Oh, the old book was new to me. But man, if this is another hit, um, Disney, Captain America: Civil Killing War, it. Jungle Book, Zootopia, Finding Dory—they are mm-hmm. they are racking up the box offices yeah. here like unprecedented. They've acquired the right people. I mean, they've they bought Pixar, they bought yeah. Marvel, but they also seem to get out of their way. I mean, they're really uh, well. If you, if you listen to Kevin Feige, not quite, yeah. but <laughs> but pretty close. <laughs> and they have another Star Wars movie coming out at the end of the year. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, this this Pixar, you know, I'll go on forever about Pixar, but the acquisition, it was the scariest thing for me because I'm like, they're such a great company, mm-hmm. I don't want them to be under the thumb of Disney. Well, they came in and they said, Lasseter, you take over our whole animation yeah. division. Suddenly the non-Pixar movies, Zootopia, Big Hero 6, mm-hmm. Frozen, are winning Oscars and getting huge yeah. box office, Wreck-It Ralph. So right. the whole thing is upgraded when you bring him in. And, so and So that's, that's a good idea of them working together. And, you know, Walt Disney was such a... Uh, figure, uh, an incredible figure, nobody else liked Walt Disney. The idea that somebody would be in, in charge of that studio that's very Walt Disney-like, you're like, wow, everything he touches is really just has this extra imagination to it, and it, and it really just transports you. These cool. live-action versions of their animated classics have been, I mean, I loved Cinderella. 
Did you see Cinderella? I love Cinderella, Cinderella too. Wasn't I thought it they, a huge hit? They I mean, captured they, the heart of that movie. I, I didn't think, I, you know, my girlfriend went and she's like, will you go to this movie with me? I'm like, oh. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. really, it was good. really good. I mean, every, and the Jungle Book knocked it out of the park. Oh my God, the Jungle Book, fantastic. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the credit where it says at the end, shot in a warehouse in Los yep. Angeles. You know, it's, oh, wow. it's. We had one of the puppeteers here who worked wow. right with the, the uh, actor, the little boy, and he was Baloo and he was all the different characters because they actually brought a man with a puppet on set. Brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah, gave the kids something to interact with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so smart because, as he pointed out, you know, you don't want to play the performance of Ben Kingsley to motivate a kid. (laughs) Instead, you have to get the reaction that you want that will play against that, which is Favreau's genius. Did you, Mm -hmm. uh, improvisation? Is there enough being made about the fact, is this the first time Disney and Spielberg have teamed up? Then that is. It should be a huge deal. I know, because halfway through the way you were talking about uh, Walt Disney, you might as well have been talking about Steven Spielberg. But doesn't it feel like he's done a lot of Disney movies? Yeah. Like Close yeah. Encounters literally has yeah. When You Wish Upon a Star in the score. <laughs> you know? Like E.T., if I told you that was a Disney movie, would you argue? Nope. <laughs> you know? Nope. So I think maybe it feels like he he has. But. All right. Explain to me how much of this movie is computer generated and how much of it is real. I feel like the little girl clearly is real. And then the... Tricked you. The, I know. The giant is computer generated and all the other giant people are? Yes. And I have a feeling the entire, most of the giant I, land will be yeah. computer generated. Okay, so the uh, the actual sets and most yeah, of that because it'll be, be bigger than her. Okay. They'll do, they, they're not doing like they did with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids anymore where they built a huge set then they yeah. can take a dump in a theme park and you can walk <laughs> around it. Right. But the, Sadly for them. But the, the, the painted quality of the, the, the it looks beautiful. Yeah. The Giants land and stuff. I mean, it looks like a Yes album cover. Yeah, it, really like, it, really like, <laughs> it really does. And that's where kids want to hang out. I, please. Yeah, I really want to hang out there with all those crazy islands floating around. Yes, yeah, exactly. With Rick, Rick Wakeman on keyboard. Oh, always. Oh, kids love Rick Wakeman. Yeah, should have got good record. The kids love good. Rick Wakeman. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing kids like. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, yeah. King Crimson. All right, well, next up, uh, Child Napping Week continues with (laughs) The Legend of Tarzan. Well, it looks like they finally know how to bring one of those pulp legends to screen without Johnny Depp. Adam, let's talk about it. Here we go. Better lay down some plastic because a man raised by apes is coming to dinner in... The Legend of Tarzan. A reboot! A boot to the head. A what? If anyone thinks Tarzan is some uncivilized beast who is more ape than man, you really can't blame Tarzan for that. He's just living out Jim Rohn's quote. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. <laughs> Says a lot about Rebate. Rebate. I just wanted to play that. Really. Oh my we, we, God. Even, slight mention of apes. Wanted to play that. Years after leaving the jungle and learning to navigate the savagery of London social life, Tarzan, now known as John Clayton, is asked to be a trade emissary for the House of Commons. Unaware that he is a little more than a deadly pawn in a game of greed and revenge, he returns to the Congo. Whatever you do, don't give these monkeys any guns. That's a mistake that Laura Linney and Ernie Hudson made. Tarzan is able to fit into society so well that he runs for president. And unlike apes or the current candidates, he was able to make it through the primaries without flinging poop. Once again, Tarzan falls in love with the city woman, Jane. Mm. They find common ground because she, too, was raised by a tribal species with no manners or concept of life outside their habitat. Baltimore. Tarzan is king of the jungle. <laughs> We're on point. Love song. On point. <laughs> Tarzan adapts to society and all goes well until someone lets a child too close to him, yeah. causing the ape man to be put down by zoo officials. Ah! 
As you can tell, all the classic Tarzan tropes are here. He saves the girl, he talks to animals, and to the delight of audiences, he swings through the forest on vines, all the while not being Shia LaBeouf. Although he did get some coaching advice from Shia LaBeouf. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. So just do it! Make your dreams come true! Shia LaBeouf's name still sounds like a medical condition that makes your farts funnier. <laughs> Doc told me I had to lay off the heavy sauces or it'll aggravate my Shia LaBeouf. Okay, why are you bringing up Shia LaBeouf? Sorry, I'm working out some Kingdom of the Crystal Skull issues. I want to like it, but, right. you know. Now, from what we've said, this new version doesn't really break any new ground. We already know Tarzan is outdoorsy. You want to challenge us? Give us a story of Tarzan the Barista. Tarzan is played by Alexander Skarsgård, not to be confused with Peter Skarsgård or Stellan Skarsgård or Kyrie Irving Pointgard. There are, a, there are a lot dumb of, joke of the week yeah, right there. It's That's so it. easy. We had a bell. Them. I had a bell. Bing. Bing. Dumb. Uh, there are a lot of Tarzans. Uh, for we know you have a lot of Tarzans Lord. to choose from. Thank you for choosing our Skarsgård. The Southwest Tarzan. Thank you for choosing Skarsgård Tarzan. There are a lot of Tarzans for him to live up to. Johnny Weissmuller is the classic Tarzan. Mm -hmm. The Christopher Reeve of Tarzans. Yes. Everyone has lived in his shadow. When I was a kid, we had Greystoke, the legend of Tarzan, with Christopher Lambert. Am I pronouncing that right? I think it's Lambert, as in Highlander. Uh. Christophe Lambert. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> in 1981, we had Miles O'Keefe. MGM presents Bo Derek, Richard Harris, and Miles O'Keefe. How much Keefe is in this movie anyway? Miles O'Keefe. Oh, wow. If you don't remember 1981's Tarzan the Ape Man, it's because you thought it was a Tarzan-themed Bo Derek Playboy shoot. <laughs> Miles O'Keefe didn't catch on and ended up being the Clinton Spillsbury of Tarzans. I understood that reference. The hey. legend. <laughs> the legend of the Lone Ranger. Hello. Welcome. Wow. I I'm glad you're with us. Wow. You I'm make right me look there. less crazy for references like that. <clears throat> Hey, we all need an evil white guy with some sort of European accent to be smugly overconfident in his dastardliness. I need you to scream for me. Like it times He's Tarzan. You're Jane. He'll come for you. All right, I guess Christopher, Christoph Waltz will do. Yes. Yeah. Tarzans are like SNL's cast members. The best were always the ones you watched as a kid, which is why, for me, it's been all downhill since Robbie Downey Jr. and Terry Sweeney. Of course, most recently there was Walt Disney's animated Tarzan, and we all remember this classic Phil Collins song. Stop it. That, that's not one of Phil Collins' songs from Tarzan. I never said it was, I just said that we all remember that song. <laughs> I've made it this long without knowing Phil Collins' song from that movie, and no, I'm not going to start now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Legend of Tarzan. Tough year. You'll be in my heart. Good Phil Collins song. Great Disney song. Is it a good Phil Collins song? It is. Yeah. Emotional and poignant in the film, but nominated the same. And it won over Blame Canada. No, Blame Canada was much funnier. Mm. You got to go Blame <laughs> Canada, right? South, well, South Park, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's also dealing with something that is controversial, and it's very tricky to be funny and controversial at the same time. Yeah. Tarzan stuff, you just, you know, you sing about love and whatnot. Yeah. Easy peasy. And Disney was on a run with their songs there. Yeah. I mean, that was like coming off of Ashman and Mencken, and, yeah. uh, you know, wouldn't that, wouldn't this, wouldn't this? Yeah, I think right before, a couple years before that was uh, your uh, Beauty and the Beast. Hercules, Hercules? and then Hunchback. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pocahontas. And then right on down to the classics, Lion King, da, 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 the 90s, just they were, yeah. Disney owned them, making, just had a separate shelf put in. They had, they were racking it up. Great documentary. It was just on Turner Classic Movies, which is called Waking Sleeping Beauty. If nobody's ever seen it, it's about that transition.
transition from oh. Walt died, we have no idea what to do with <laughs> ourselves, and then all the way through to Lion King. Yeah. Oh, Pretty wow. cool. And all the changeovers from Roy Disney, and then... Uh, it's like 15 to 20 years of darkness, right? Of Black Cauldron and mm-hmm. Great Mouse Detective. Yeah. Before we got uh, Little Mermaid. That's yeah. when Tim Burton was working for the studio. I remember there was a little documentary on him, and he's like, he said he couldn't stand it because everybody would just sit around going, ah, would Walt do this? And he's like, we just do something. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, I do want to report this to you, though I don't know if this will interest you in any way, but I want to... Do this as a public Everything service. Everything interests me. Well, okay. As a public service announcement, I I have to say that I watched this trailer a number of times, and both in the theater and on TV. Mm-hmm. I I don't think this is the right kind of shirtless. He just doesn't. No, 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 no. Oh, he's There's got something he's got an eight pack. No, it's too mm. much. No. Too much. Too much pack. Yeah. You only go six with your packs, right? You, you buy one six We just want less muddy. I less think, right? muddy, yeah. less hairy. Renfair. I don't know. I just need him to look like he smells better. Well, it's just like last week. You said this is not the free state of Jones is not the kind of shirtless McConaughey. No, yeah. I guess I'm more particular about my shirtless. Like yeah, we all I have want, our criteria, right? If I have a shirtless guy, I want him to be washing the car or something, not right. fighting apes. Let me let me follow up on that. Yeah, uh, any kind of Margot Robbie, fine by me. <laughs> That's Margot good. Robbie. The Margot Robbie, this will give me yeah. um, is enough all Margot right. Robbie. Pretty good in all situations, really. Yeah. <laughs> you make her all classic and British. What yeah. is it? Is it? Do you, would you rather have Tarzan, Margot Robbie, or Suicide Squad? Oh, Suicide well, Squad. That's Margot Harley yeah, Quinn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's being filthy and fun. She's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Yeah. Gosh, Harley it's Quinn. craziness. Yeah. Nothing beats Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, that was oh, the best. Lord. Holy yes. Lord. That's some top fine Robbie right there. Yeah, yeah. it is. Focus you know, is, a, is a second, but nothing's going to be. You know, in Wolf of Wall Street, when she comes to the door naked, that was her idea. I do know that scene. That was totally her. You're going to love her even more because that was her idea. Not really? Yeah, the director said, uh, was it Martin? Yeah. He said to her that I don't want you to feel like you're being used just for your body. I'm going to say you can wear a robe if you want to. And she said, are you kidding? The character totally knows that's her strength. Why would she cover it up when she's coming to the door and she knows she needs to use her all the tools in her toolbox and she came naked? What was shocking about that too was, and having grown up with Bo Derek as our, you know, in uh, in Tarzan and things like that, when someone shows up that naked, you yeah. go, well, it's obviously just some model they got, and they're not really going to turn into performance. And then she kept going, and you're like, she's a good actress. Oh, How yeah. is she nude yeah. in that first scene? And that's because she's such a good actor that she's yeah. like, of course I would be naked. Yeah. It was cool. That's a good Harley Quinn. Uh, Adam, you've provided us the history of Tarzan yells. Well, I, I you know, I'm a, I grew up with Tarzan. I hope you have Carol Burnett in there. <laughs> oh, right. No, let's put that at the end of the yeah. show. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, and, and I say I grew up with it because the first era of cable, the stuff that they re-ran, it was a lot of Tarzan movies, and that was where I first saw the George Reeves Superman TV show. And so, so I can say I grew up with that, even though it was all the first time it was rerun. But like, so yeah, Tarzan and the Tarzan cartoon. So I was very excited, but Grace Stoke didn't really do it for me as a seven-year-old or eight-year-old or whatever. It's like, that's not, it's the Merchant Ivory of Tarzan films. Yes. But yes, uh, the Johnny Weissmuller uh, Tarzan yell is so classic and epic that it's just they've never been able to uh, 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 emulate that since. In fact, I don't even think the new one does a yell, I don't believe. Oh, they haven't led with it, if so. They haven't led with it, yeah. That's interesting. In fact, I think they dubbed in Johnny Weissmuller's in the Bo Derek movie. I don't know if I've seen that movie all the way through. Even the animated Tarzan, I think, saved that yell to the end. It was your finale. Yeah. Because like as, as the word Tarzan hit at yeah. the end. But it's such a classic trope. I mean, well, I love the swing. Yeah. Ooh. 
I mean, yeah, that is some yodeling. Awesome. That is some yodeling right there. <laughs> Wasn't that Shia LaBeouf from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Because <laughs> <laughs> they use it there too. Do they? A little bit. Oh. A little bit. Oh, and then oh, we know, forgot the Chewbacca one. Yeah, yeah. The, the Chewbacca one. Oh, is that's that what, what you wrote down? I was waiting for it classic to come up, Mike Nichols like, over there I, I jotting like down. I'm like, what is it? Yeah, Chewbacca <laughs> from uh, Jedi. And but you're right. Uh, at the in the tree uh, part for Shia LaBeouf. That's great. Wow, I regret bringing that movie once. Up once. Now it's been brought up twice. Yeah. See, that movie's not allowed to exist anymore because Paul can't can't think about and, it. And, and as mm. Matt Gorley pointed out in the great James Bonding podcast, which is uh, no longer with us, although it works on repeated listenings, 1981 was also uh, was or it was a uh, what year was 83 was a uh, Jedi, right? Yes. And uh, that same year, the James Bond movie, there was also a Tarzan mm-hmm. yell. That was like the cool reference to make, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, wow. I can't remember Octopussy or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I think uh, I'd never say never again. Never seen was, never. But it was only an octopusy that you had, that they had the uh, Tarzan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh wait, so then we have uh, this yes. is the first one. This <laughs> is funny. This is this is the the first silent Tarzan, the silent movie Tarzan, and they had him on a show to do his yell because we obviously couldn't hear it from the silent movie. Oh my God. And so this is just ridiculous. Ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> Oh, brother, that gave me goose right there. Wait, what? You're not kidding. <laughs> wow, that guy Some sold it. TV show. He yeah. sounds like he just got his foot run over by a car. We also have him here doing it in the silent version. Oh, yeah, this is him from the actual silent movie. Yes, sir, my friends, that was the original, the first Tarzan, Elmo Lincoln. <laughs> Elmo Lincoln. Elmo Lincoln. Elmo Lincoln comes out, and he is the he is the forties version of a strong man. In in that he's just kind of huge and tat, huge and fat, and has big boobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy keeps referring to his barrel chest, and you're like, those are boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, look it up. (laughs) So I don't know what the new yell is. Yeah. Barrel chest. That was masculine That's back then. Amazing. The barrel chest. Uh, one more thing, if you're looking for in this movie, if you remember our show last week, our oh, guest was God. Chris Williams. Said he did some voiceover, yes. meaning he did one ADR line him. of Jaime Hansu. So be sure to listen for. These are the diamonds you need, or something like that. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't say or something like that. Something like but uh, yeah, so hey, look for that and resid- applaud when you hear it. The man said residuals. That's all I heard. Right? <laughs> Uh, well, let's get to our final Uh-oh. movie. The third installment of the Purge series takes mm-hmm. the vague politics of the first two movies and hands the analogy sledgehammer to Gallagher. <laughs> it's the Purge ah. election year. Karen, let's do it. Hot on the heels of the video release of 13 Minutes, The Secret Secrets of Benghazi Secrets, comes Some Bitch is Trying to Take Away Your Guns, the movie. (laughs) The premise of the Purge series is that in a future dystopian America, gun-crazed killers go out and kill random people. Uh, Note to the editor, remove the words dystopian and future from that last sentence, please. Mm. The Purge is a holiday where anyone can kill anybody without going to jail. For any reason. Mm -hmm. Playing their TV too loud, cutting you off in traffic, talking during (laughs) Batman vs. Superman, making Batman vs. Superman, being Zack Snyder, anything. (laughs) This installment of President Trump the movie takes the somewhat politically incorrect premise of the original and goes balls out and puts those balls in your face. 
In fact, in the wake of the Orlando nightclub shooting, the production had to do a last-minute reshoot so they could include a scene where that happened, too. Uh, (laughs) Senator Charlene Roan, played by Elizabeth Mitchell, is running for president on a platform largely based on getting rid of the purge. Mm. Her head of security is former police sergeant Leo Barnes, who intended to use the purge a few years back to kill the drunk driver that killed his son. But Sergeant Barnes had a change of heart and instead decided to go into the private security business, where he dedicates his life to protecting others, much like he did when he was a cop. So why didn't he just go back to being a cop? Well, because these darn Purge movies had to do something to be different from one another. (laughs) The Purge provides a convenient opportunity to dispose of Senator Charlene Rowan, who wants to end the yearly bloodshedding event. And by the way, if you thought the Purge movies were scary think about this. There are soundtracks to these movies. The Purge election year has 25 different tracks. It's absolutely horrifying. It's mostly Justin Bieber and Kanye West. (laughs) I know this film is mostly fiction, but I want to go back to something you said a while ago. The film touches on an issue I feel whose time has finally come. A woman holding our nation's highest office. Really? Yes. I fully support having a female president. Tall, hot, blonde female president. We must no longer say that they, they can't run the country because they're too sexy. But it does mean we have to change our national anthem to this. Paul, I'm sorry, but most people might find that offensive and even unpatriotic. Karen, I anticipated you saying that, so I have this backup song. She's my Apple. Apple. That's way more, way more patriotic. I can, Come on. I can just picture, I can just picture Hillary Clinton on the front of a car to that. You mean painted like a bomber? Like oh, that? absolutely. Like the old <laughs> sexy poses. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm missing my fan for music. There it is. Yay! That's enough of this. There we go. <laughs> I, I, is it? Would it be so weird if? Uh, President uh, Donald Trump suggests started coming out to cheese my cherry pie or, or change the uh, I don't know that seems like what? the sort I of thing first lady at least I have yeah. a feeling Warren wouldn't want to have anything to do with Donald maybe. Trump maybe that happens a lot they'll play uh, some entrance oh, music he's and, running uh, out of songs Neil Young said no thanks yeah. and Rage Against the Machine like get out of here he yeah. just needs to go see Rage Ted Nugent I think Ted Nugent would be fine with him yeah play some yeah. Ted Nugent why don't they learn it started with Springsteen right? I'm born in the USA yeah and Springsteen's like you don't get my song in the yeah. least, Reagan. It's an ironic song about how you're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and you're using it. Yeah. <laughs> because you think it's the Hulk Hogan entrance song. I think you've confused it <laughs> with I'm a real American. Now, yeah. Rob, before uh, before we got on the air, you said you'd like to see the Purge actual happen as a thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of... I, I think horror films are sort of moribund now. You know, there's I, I miss the days of Cronenberg's body horror movies uh-huh. like, like Rabbit or Videodrome or The Brood. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of horror films. It's all like... Women alone in a house being victimized by somebody, yeah. nameless, faceless, whatever, or they're ghosts. Yeah. Now, lots what, of ghosts. Yeah. Whatever happened to like, like Jeff Goldblum and The Fly? That was kind of a really interesting horror Love film. Love that movie. Yeah. It's a great movie mm-hmm. where, where the horror of your body changing from under you. Well, I think The Purge has sort of a, a really interesting, scary premise. I mean, what if all civilization is just put away for 12 hours mm-hmm. and we can do whatever we want? Uh, that is that's horrific. That yeah, is scary, yeah, and is. and I think that's there's something, the monsters that are right outside your door. Yeah, the fact that they really are out there all the time, and somehow our civilization keeps them at bay. But what if just one day a year, yeah, anything you want to do to anyone, 
no matter what it is, you can do. And I think that's a great premise for a horror film. And to make it political this year, I mean, look, give it up. It's brilliant, right? Give it up for Blumhouse. I mean, whether the movie's good or not, at least it's intellectually interesting. Like, you can walk out, kind of go, huh, if you could purge, would you? And who would you purge with or for? You yeah. know, I, I would hide in a steel box. I would. I, I couldn't imagine killing anybody, but I would like to be able to purge in the sense that I could eat anything I wanted and not gain any weight. <laughs> Different purge. Once a year I without eat. gaining any weight. Exactly. <laughs> but I can understand that idea of being able to do something you don't normally get to do. No, and, and yeah. so there's questions that they haven't answered yet. Like, what if you're on a, uh, a transatlantic or transcontinental flight? Like, what if you're flying from New York to L.A. Mm. while the purge is going on? Purge on a plane. Purge on a plane. Like, what would that do? (laughs) There are mothers purging on this mother plane. Purge on a plane. (laughs) Wow. It is a brilliant Endless ideas. Or if you're a bunch of old people in a home. Because, you know, some people are like, just kill me. Kill me already. Right. Holy cow. I'll do it. Or there could be a group that's paid by old people or old people's next of kin that are waiting to uh, inherit money. Oh. So they, they're, they're sent into nursing homes. Oh. Like uh, and see, I'm selling my premise this right is away. Amazing. <laughs> uh, patent pending, patent pending. There we go. Why, <laughs> I saved you. But why do they wear masks? Because oh. it looks cool. Yeah, it's, it looks it's really cool. cool. Well, you don't want you don't want people to know who you are the next day when you're waving to yeah. them on the street. But it's perfectly legal. I tried to. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but I tried human to kill nature. you last night. You know, yeah. it's Man, hard it's to forgive. Purge. Sorry, I missed. <laughs> you know, it would really put some weight on forgive and forget. Wow. Mm. Yeah, but the mask would get, be a hindrance. They do look cool as hell. They They'll be all cool. over Halloween. I mean, the oh, pose I want to dress like that one for Halloween. Absolutely. The one that says, kiss me, what a cool costume. The poster so for this is insane. It is the coolest looking, evil looking Uncle Sam mm-hmm. with an AK-47 that is painted in red, white, and blue. Oh. It just looks like it's it's the least politically correct <laughs> thing, especially, especially right, right now. now. I mean, they, they had to take the World Trade Center out of a movie called Zoolander that had nothing to do with 9-11 or terrorism, but it had to be removed. And now, uh, by the way, I don't know if anybody saw Batman vs. Superman. You can play the 9-11 drinking game. Every time a 9-11 happens in that movie, drink, you know? (laughs) (laughs) They don't care anymore. We've been so desensitized. It's like, I mean, right after the Columbine shooting, Fight Club, like, came under, but there's nothing comparing those two. In fact, they literally don't use guns in Fight Club. And that's the point is they don't, you know? And so in this, it's like after the Orlando shooting, nobody said anything. It's like, yeah, well, it's no one. <laughs> that is the bird. shocking. You know, there's one <laughs> moment. July 1st, everybody. Uh, last week we talked about Independence Day, whatever that thing is. I didn't watch it. Resurgence. Resurgence. Revolution. And we were talking about how the very first time we saw that trailer, it was shocking to see the White House get blown up mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And I got to tell you that this Purge trailer gave me a little bit of that feeling when I saw the Lincoln Memorial and it had graffiti on it. <laughs> that freaked me out a little bit. That I don't know why that affected me. I guess I just never thought I would ever see that. And that could happen. That's amazing. Yeah, the one thing that's odd about these movies, I, I, and I haven't seen the second one, which I'd like to, because I think we would say at this table, well, Adam and me, at least. <laughs> yeah. We're Frank Grillo fans. Of course. Yes. yes. Uh, um, the Crossbones from yes. uh, the Captain America Civil War. Right. But the, it seems like they laugh. May he rest in peace. May he yes. rest in peace. Brief, but... Uh, uh, exciting uh, little part for him. I mean, there used to be these little Easter eggs in these movies. You'd see, oh, Crossbones. Like, I know that guy from the comic book, but that whole movie is like, I know all of this from a comic <laughs> book at one point or another. It's gotten crazy with the... Uh, now, it, it's... Uh, oh, I forgot what the hell my point was. Oh, so yeah. You get in a comic... You, you got me on superheroes and I'm... Yeah. Forget about it. Oh, I know what it was. It seems yeah. like every once in a while they lapse into, like, ritual. 
You know, it seems like now we've got you. Now the purge. We they chant. Mm. And they do all yeah. this stuff. So they just kill the guy because it's, you got twelve hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get on with it and get to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I haven't. I'm a huge Blumhouse fan, but there's a significant pockets I haven't seen. The purge is one of them. Now I'm excited. I'm going to watch the first two and go see this. Oh yeah, this there's one, three now. This so you have to see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this one's really exciting. Now you've seen all three. Do we? Well, ever... I, haven't seen, I haven't seen the, the election year yet. Oh yeah, I'm I mean, waiting. You've seen the first, but I did. I thought the second one, much like Hostel Two, yeah, might be better than the first. Ah. <laughs> so maybe so, that's because of Frank Grillo, you know. Maybe. So so like maybe. Hostel Two, does it take the initial premise and sort of turn it on its it, ear it, and yes. play it just as effectively, which it, is, was a great it, thing. It about does. It. I mean, what's really interesting about the Purge Two is that some people get caught outside after dark ah. in downtown LA, like their car breaks down. Oh, because the first one is all in one house, which is classic Blumhouse. Like instead of ghosts, it's there's someone at the window. Right, <laughs> and this is a shot. You know, they're running around downtown. LA and oh. then there is ritual you, I don't want to ruin anything for yeah. you but you find out you know it's always it's always the rich people it's always the one percenters that are doing the most diabolical <laughs> well they have time to put it together movies. the rest <laughs> right. of us are trying to make a living it's, I don't know where yeah. you get the idea that the one percent is diabolically plotting against the 99 percent I know where you get that but anyway we're all cannon fodder <laughs> I only hope it's uh, Golan and Globus cannon fodder. Don't That's you the miss only <laughs> American Ninja? You know, like Michael Dudikoff, those yes. movies, yes. or Ninja Three: The Domination. Yes. That was a good one. Oh, Invasion by the, USA. By the way, oh, the doc- so good. Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah. Delta got, Force. Got to see it in a theater at the New Beverly. Delta Force. Oh my god. Crazy in a theater. Yeah, is, that, Blum, is Blumhouse like the new canon, but with a better production uh, eye and budget? Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Because yeah. he's I mean, as far as cranking them out, but the, they're much higher quality. But they're much higher quality, and the storytelling is so strong. I, I, I did they do the visit? Yes, I loved that. Right, you know they were yeah. also responsible for Whiplash. They were one of oh, the that's right. right. That's right. And so right. I would love to see. You know, I've heard that. I don't know this for a fact, but I've heard that Jason <laughs> Blum has like this post-production van mm. that's all tricked out with this. He can like drive from set to set and watch dailies and things like, like that. Like Coppola's old dream. Coppola I, tried to do that. I mean, one time. I, yeah. I, I want to do that. I want. <laughs> yeah. I want to know Jason Blum and like work for Jason Blum and just uh, drive around and, and edit, like edit twenty four seven in his moving van. That's Who knows really where you're cool. gonna be. It's kind of like when we were in college, Paul wanted to put together the comedy bus, and we would just get together and travel around the country and do comedy wherever we happen to find pulls, an yeah. open mic or whatever. The yeah. bus just pulls up, and there Comics you go. Comics spill out, show happens. Show happens. <laughs> Back in a bus. That's yeah. actually a real... I, that would be cool. There's a yeah. movie in that. There you go. You know, yeah. a bunch of Fun. disaffected L.A. comics decide they're going to travel the highways and byways of the land like Billy Batson and Mentor and Shazam. <laughs> and they pull into some yes. rinky-dink places, and they just go to these open mics, and crazy crap happens. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. Oh, well, listen, we just found out what, what? that our guest, Rob, is an editor. So yes. let's find out more Yay! in our guest yeah! segment. Oh, no. Enough of the new movies. Okay. Uh, he's the co- director and co-writer of the movie lover's romantic, geek-tastic comedy free <laughs> enterprise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Plus, he's produced Agent Cody Banks and its sequel, and a lot more we'll get to here with Rob Burnett. Yay! Yay! Oh, oh, wait a second. Where's my applause music? <laughs> Robert Meyer Burnett. Yeah, yeah according to IMDb. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Yeah. Not to be confused with Nicholas Meyer. No, it's oh, I thought you were gonna ask me something. It's <laughs> no, on the, like some trivia on I <laughs> No, I, I I should point out I'm not a douchebag, so I use three names. I'm I, I do that I do that for I'm I don't think of myself as Francis Ford Coppola. You're no Dude. Philip Michael Thomas. <laughs> I am no Philip Michael Thomas. Dude, you Thomas. <laughs> you are a douchebag for all different reasons. Yes, exactly. indeed. But there is a Rob Burnett that uh was the president or head of Worldwide Pants, which was David Letterman's <clears throat> oh, yeah, company. Yeah, and he was a TV TV producer, he produced like Ed. And um 
for a brief moment, I was a William Morris client, and so was Rob Burnett. And after I was no longer a William Morris client, I used to get phone calls every month. Yes, Mr. Burnett, the television lit department is meeting on you know the first Friday of the month. We're hoping to see you there. And I always thought, I should just show up. I can yeah. go. Like, <laughs> like go. I just roll in. And what are they going to say? What are they going to say? Yeah. <laughs> and people would just be just to look at people's perplexed looks. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in Hollywood, people just... They're not going to say anything because they figure, oh, if you're there, right? You're, you're yes. supposed to be yeah. there, and nobody wants to, if you're someone's, you know, nephew or maybe yep. you're some investor. Nobody wants to say anything because so, no, yeah, nobody looks. Uh, you, you 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 can't just tell by looks whether someone should be somewhere in Hollywood, right? Right. right. <laughs> and usually, if they look more homeless, they probably are more important. Might just be a well, I may have told yeah. the story. I went, I got a screening, free screening of uh, Mrs. Henderson presents the new Stephen Frears film with Judy Dench and Bob oh, Hoskins. Yeah, we said, went to that. I'm going to this. Let's sign up. Karen's like, sure. We go down. I sounds boring. I got my Rolling Stones T-shirt on. Yeah, and because my we blue thought jeans. it was just a screening. <laughs> it's the premiere. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, they're filling <laughs> seats at the premiere. So I go in, but everyone was talking to us because you know they'd be like, hey, man, did you see that latest tour? Yeah, I did. People- Hollywood Bowl. I was. Yeah. I, I, I I told them about how I had tickets. Da da da. Back when I was in college, and couldn't Nobody go. Nobody questioned went the fact that we weren't supposed to be there. I mean, we signed up and yeah. stuff, but we thought we were just going to that movie. But everyone talked to us because Paul had a Rolling Stones shirt They'll on. Think yeah. you're that cool? Yeah. yeah. You finally yeah, the gone that far. Show up like that, <laughs> yeah. you must be somebody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I first moved to LA, I remember seeing a news report where some like news reporter just was going around walking up to people, just going, So, how's your screenplay coming? Ah! And everyone had an Everybody. answer. Oh, well, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really having problems with that second to third act <laughs> break. You know, I don't know how it's really going to work out. But That's hysterical. You know, or my friend's reading it. I'm waiting to get his notes. All right, was... right now, real quick, how many people here are working on a screenplay? Oh, Paul and I are. Of course, yeah. yes. Paul, yeah. Mike, are you working? All of us are working right. on of course. the screenplay. What? We wouldn't be doing our duty if we weren't also doing that. What do you think? I just sit around and make Captain America references and script and have Karen, have Karen try and say them <laughs> all day long? No. Okay, so let's talk about uh, oh free God. enterprise. Yes. Um, I have a poster here, which you said is a rare thing. Huh? It is a rare thing because the movie got very little distribution, so those posters never made it very far. How did we get that one, Paul? Yeah, I I, well, I hang on to stuff. I work in movie theaters throughout my days. I want to point out that free enterprise was theatrically released. And on the IMDb, it says it only made like $30,000, which is not true. It made more money over the course of that summer, but that's the reason why I didn't have much more of a directing career, because on the IMDb it says I only directed a movie that made $30,000. Well, you may have been helped oh. by the fact that it came out around the same time as Trekkies, did it not? Yeah, it did. It did. And, and I, so I, I remembered them kind of as a bundle. It's like, oh, for, it's like a big day, a big year for Star Trek fans. Yes, and I'm actually in Trekkies, too. And um, Roger Nygaard, the director of Trekkies, and I were invited to Israel. So we went to Israel, we went to Tel Aviv, to this festival called the Icons Festival, and we both showed our movies and spoke, and for a whole, a whole weekend. And I have to say, I loved Tel Aviv. It was, you know, I grew up, I was raised Jewish, and I loved being in Tel Aviv, but uh, it was a, that was one of the more memorable experiences for me, because uh, this guy comes up to me and goes, so what are you, what's your lecture about? And I'm like, hmm, what? Aww. Well, you know, you've sold out. Oh wait! Like sold? They sold tickets? Well, yeah, twenty five bucks a head. It's like five hundred seats. And I'm like, nobody told me this. Like, what am I? And I had nothing prepared. I had, I had no idea. I, and so I, I, I'm, you know, it's like it was, it was a like a theater in the round. It was kind of a C shaped thing with orchestra seats, very high up. And I'm like, 
I had to walk out and basically do stand up or improv, which I'm not <laughs> someone to do those kinds of things. And I, you know, I just regaled them with Shatner stories, and it worked. Sure. Oh, everybody but loves uh, stories. everybody loves that. Uh-huh. But it was great. I mean, that was the byproduct of of making free enterprise. I mean, I had a lifelong dream to come to L.A. and I gave myself ten years from the time I moved here to make a movie. And I worked all through the industry. I worked on low-budget horror films. I read scripts for a living. I worked in feature production at Warner Brothers. And sure enough, 10 years later, I was able to direct, write and direct my, my first and sadly only feature but, uh, that I've directed. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And with my childhood idol, now, William that's Shatner. That's amazing. And how, how does this go? Now, for, first of all, uh, what, what is the plot of Free Enterprise, and how did you come to make it with... The interesting part is he kind of just said it. <laughs> no, no, well, because uh, yeah, yeah, in a way, Rob, Rob, the well, character okay. of the movie reflects oh, you. Right? Oh, oh he lived here in the same yeah. I forgot. Okay. Yeah, but I got it. it's it's interesting though because Talk not only no no it, it's kind of like a romantic comedy because um there's another I don't know who the actor is it's on the bottom of the poster he falls in love with a woman who is a I guess she's a nerd she loves all that same stuff too but what's so neat is. His buddies have to help him stay in that relationship. And Eric McCormick is one of the buddies. Yeah. He's amazing in it. He's so good. Yeah, it was, Mark, how it started, (laughs) this is a true story. I was obsessed with writing a Jewish supernatural thriller. I mean, a really hardcore. I mean, everyone laughs. Everyone so laughs. instead of crosses for vampires, yeah. they have to hold up. What the, is Mel Brooks going to have you make? No, but seriously, I was I was reading a lot of Yiddish folk tales and like the Yeni Velt, the Mirror Realm, and Osmodius and Lilith, and I wanted to do what what how Catholicism is used in the vampire mythology. Osmodius, by the way, my favorite Watchman. Continue. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> and I wanted to I wanted to make a film like that. So Mark and I were writing this epic horror movie called Day of Atonement. And it was just awful. I mean, it was <laughs> truly terrible. It had some really good ideas, but the script is like I throw everything but the kitchen sink into it. And then we're writing it, and I was actually working on the Star Trek experience in Vegas, and I was editing all the, the videos you see. Oh, by the way, I loved that. Oh, so, so sad cool. that it went. Oh, I was going to talk about I, that for sure. I, I'm, I need to know where the pieces of the set are. Well, that, I have a story for that, too. Okay, we'll get that in a second. So, so, so Mark Altman, my good buddy Mark that wrote the, the film with me, called me up one day and reads me a story from my own, reads me some script pages. Uh, it's a story from my own life when I wore a Star Trek uniform to seventh grade and got beat up. Oh, that's how the movie starts. Yeah, the day Star Trek yeah. the motion picture opened, except in his version, William Shatner appears to me in a vision and tells me how to turn the tables on this guy that's beating me up. And I'm like, that's hilarious, dude. And I go... Why are we writing Day of Atonement? We should be doing this. Yeah. And so a couple weeks later, he hands me like 250 pages of a script we were calling Trekkers at the time because Swingers had come out and was very successful. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes so, sense. So, you know, it was, it was money, baby. So we <laughs> thought we would totally. be the same way. And then how it worked was he and I would, he would throw the script back to me and I would rewrite it, then throw it back to him and he would rewrite it. And then the final version of the script, we sat in a room together and basically acted it out and wrote the final mm. scenes. But the problem was the original script was about our imaginary friend, William Shatner. And he was the coolest guy in the universe, and he would show up. We were really um, heavily influenced by Woody Allen's movie Played Against Sam, where Bogart would show up. So Shatner was this, this godlike character that would dole out advice, but he was our imaginary friend. You couldn't see him. He wasn't really, oh. he wasn't really there. Mm-hmm. So that was the script that we actually got financed and we wanted to make. And we figured, why wouldn't Shatner want to be in this? We basically wrote him in the role of, of God. So who wouldn't want to do that? Sounds and, perfect for and, him. Yeah, and we didn't talk. We had not talked to him. We didn't know him. We just figured, ah, you know. So once we got the movie financed and started casting, 
Eric McCormack was the first person. McCormack was the first guy we cast, and he was he had just come um, down to L.A. And this was before Will and Grace, it was if right anybody before, wonders. Yeah, it was right mm-hmm. before Will and Grace. We were shooting the movie in early 98. Wow. And we cast the film, but no Shatner. We, had, we couldn't get Shatner. And then he finally said no. He just flat oh. out said no. We, we had no movie. Like, oh. we had no, without Shatner, it, it, we didn't even think, we just assumed that, why wouldn't he do this movie? <laughs> never do this. Filmmakers out there, never write, don't write being John Malkovich and expect <laughs> John Malkovich just to show up. And that. so we went back and forth, and then we wrote him this, what we called the tear-stained letter. We wrote him this begging and pleading and telling him how much we have enjoyed his performance. And then he called me up on the phone. Oh my God, how crazy is that? Shatner Dude. calls me up, and, and the, our a production secretary said, um, William Shatner's on the phone for you. And I thought it was like somebody joking. Yeah, because you know? everybody impersonates him. Everyone, Everyone uh, has one. Yeah, and, and so I picked up the phone, and sure enough, it was it was him on the phone. And he said he, he completely understood that we were independent filmmakers, that we'd raised the money. He was impressed by this, our entrepreneurial spirit. And then he said, look, I can't do this movie. He, he said, I appreciate what you've written, but... Uh, there's no way I can do this film. Uh, you've written me, as we said, in the in the role of God, and he said, "I don't. I have no answers for anyone. I'm a messed up guy. I've got three daughters. I got grandkids. I'm on my third wife. I mean, my life is a mess. And you you've written me this part where I'm the coolest hepcat on a martini swilling hepcat drinking martinis wearing Hugh Hefner's bathrobe. <laughs> and, and and he's like." And I'm watching my entire filmmaking career just go off a cliff. It was like it was like being the roadrunner. I'm Wiley E. Coyote, and, mm-hmm. and he's Shatner's just standing on the edge of the cliff while there's no there's nothing underneath me, and I'm about. But to you fall. don't fall until you realize you're not allowed to be. Oh, yeah. So if you never realize that, <laughs> oh. you can always succeed. I was realizing it, and and then Mark Alban came on. He got on the phone with me, and we were talking to Shatner, and we said, "Well, look." Oh, and he's like, "No, no, no. Call me Bill. Call me Bill. Call me Bill." And so we we did that, and and we're. We, we finally said, okay, well, what, is there anything that we could do to convince you to do this movie? Now, keep in mind, we were going to shoot in January. It's now m- moving into Christmas. It's like December 18th. And we don't have, he says, well, you know, Kim Basinger had gone through a lawsuit because she said she was going to be in this movie called Boxing Helena. And then she pulled yes, out of it. Famous and they, they took her to court and she was found guilty. And he's like, I don't want to, I'm not going to say I'm going to be in your movie if you're going to rewrite it. But because of Boxing Helena. But he said, look. If you guys were to rewrite the script, and if you were to make me say a real person, you know, somebody Hmm. with problems and foibles, and I don't know what those problems and foibles are, but something like that where I'm real, um, then I would consider rereading your script for you. Hmm. And we're like, huh. And he hung up the phone, and we're like looking at each other going, we never considered that. We, I mean, I've worshipped William Shatter since yeah. I was like three years yeah. old. And who would think that he would have that much grace to see that he's not perfect? We all assume he thinks he's the best thing ever, right? Because right? my thing, you said, who wouldn't want to play God? Well, um, I could answer that, but I could, I could also answer, who would want to play God? Shatner. And I would think it would be Shatner. Yeah. Right. I, <laughs> so that's a great phone call to hear about. It was crazy. And so for whatever reason, we decided, we rewrote the script and came up with this cockamamie idea idea that he was going to do a musical version of Titus Andronicus <laughs> you know and and that was we thought that was funny it was really charming I thought that was cool well we we didn't we changed it because our our friend Alan Spencer who created the TV show Sledgehammer goes <gasps> Titus Andronicus great show nobody knows that 
Change oh, right, it, so you changed, changed it, it to Julius, Julius Caesar. Caesar. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking, Mark was like, Julius Caesar, yeah. You, well, you'd have to, if you're a one-man, if you're doing a one-man show of Julius Caesar, you'd have to stab yourself in the back. Yeah. Shatner's like, I've done it before. We, we, oh, we I just, love that. Yeah, yeah, the comedy just started right itself. And then we didn't know, the problem was the script that we took, and I'll, I'll be honest about this, the finished film, it used to have this great romance and this great imaginary Shatner story that really dovetailed at the end. The script that we rewrote, the, the Shatner story and the romance don't dovetail really at all. And it, they don't really inform each other. So mm-hmm. there, I think that's a, a distinct weakness in the script that we would have if we had more time. But um, but I'm guessing you had about 21 days. Yeah, we had. <laughs> and, and during that time, we had Christmas and New Year's. But we rewrote the script and we got it to Shatner. And he, first of all, he thought it was insane. He couldn't, he's like, where did you come up with all this stuff? And we were worried that, um, like, there was a line in the script where he's supposed to go pick up this woman. Oh, yeah. And Eric McCormick says, you should just go do it. I mean, she can't hate you any more than your co-stars. And we were like, you know, when we thought we're giddily writing these lines, but when you actually have to give those lines to Shatner, like, we had to sit in his office and go through the script with him. And he loved it. He's like, that's like George Takei. <laughs> and I mean, he totally awesome. knew. Yeah. And there's a, there's, there's a couple other really wacky, fun stories about making the movie. But yeah. Was there was, impro- improvisation for, for him? You know, it's here. this is really interesting. Eric McCormack, both Eric and Sh- McCormack and Shatner are theatrically trained actors. They both came from Stratford, which is the Shakespeare um, in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them like improv very much which I thought was interesting. Like McCormack is a very technical actor. If you give him props, he'll do the same thing with props in every scene, every every take. And that's something, it's scary when actors are given props because it it frequently, when you go from shot to shot to shot, it doesn't match. McCormack is is precise, dead on. Your editor's gotta love that. No, he's amazing. (laughs) And then Shatner really wants, uh, it's funny, Shatner's a two take guy. (laughs) His first take is usually not very good because he's still kind of working through what he's going to do in his mind, but his second takes are are always dead on. And for if you like his brand of Shatnerism, which I do. <laughs> and and it was, you know, he the thing about Shatner is I had a great time working with him. He just doesn't suffer fools gladly. Like you got to make sure that when you bring him out to set that you're ready to go. And and he wants to make sure that he's there. He's been doing this for 60 years. He expects you to be on your game. And and I had a wonderful experience working with him. And I have to say that there's a, a rap number at the end of the movie, and that was Shatner's idea. Oh yeah, like wow. I love that. Yeah. yeah, we had this whole. I wanted him to sing a Prince song, and and Shatner's like, you know, you know, boys. Um, <laughs> he he said that if William Shakespeare was writing plays today, he probably would write them as raps. Oh, Hamilton <laughs> you know? could tell you the same thing. I know, yeah. and, and iambic pentameter, you know, mm-hmm. done by so. I'll tell you this story. The, the funniest thing that happened is Shatner goes, why don't we do this as a rap song? You know? And I'm like, well, we happen to have a rap group recording at the recording studio right below our production office. Oh, wow. So I walk in there one night. I knock on the door. And these guys were, uh, Rated R is a rapper that was part of Tupac's Posse Thug Life. 
fabulous. He, yeah, he was recording. Sounds perfect. It was amazing. Radar is a great rapper name that I didn't know existed <laughs> yeah, until now. And that's that is amazing. just so perfect. Yeah. He was great. And so I go in there, and these guys use a lot of herbal remedies to sort of help their flow. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like ginkgo biloba. Yeah. Just in case yeah. they're getting a tickle on their awake. throat. It was amazing. So, so I walk in there like like Flounder in Animal House. I don't even remember. <laughs> He's like, hey, guys, you guys playing cards? You guys playing cards? You know, and, and I basically go, hey, guys, how would you like to do a rap song with William Shatner, cracker white boy that I yeah, am? Yeah, they're like, who's, did they know who oh, they that knew. was? They knew. Oh. And they, they, they actually thought about it. And the producer, uh, Freddie Roan, the producer, is like, well, you know, we'd have to see if we could vibe with him. Like, let's bring him down here. And um, I'm like, okay. So like I call Well, up, it was Shatner's idea. It was, yeah. And yeah. so like, I call up Shatner and I go, hey, we found this rap group. Would you be willing to come meet him? And he's like, are you kidding? <laughs> like he was so excited. He rolls up in a green Jag with the windows <gasps> nice. rolled down with NWA straight out of Compton blaring. <laughs> Whoa! Blaring Amazing. out of his. You it, witnessed this oh, visual yeah. pastiche oh, in life? It was un- Shatner rolls, it was, rolls up? It was unbelievable. Oh it was unbelievable. He gets out and he comes into the recording studio and all the, the guys were out. There's like eight guys in the, 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 the producers and the hangers on the posse. There's like eight dudes sitting in a semicircle with their hands in their laps like schoolboys. Oh, that's cool. And Shatner, Shatner walks in. Oh, my God. And he's looking around, and I'm standing there with Mark Allman, and we're like, what, what's going to happen? Like, I don't even know what's going to happen here. <laughs> Shatner gets up. He's standing in the middle, and he's looking at them. It's like he had an audience. And he, oh he says, boys, let me tell you what Ju- who Julius Caesar was like. And I'm like, okay. I'm looking at Mark. What's he happening? goes, Julia, Julius Caesar was like Martin Luther King. And I'm like, oh god, I was like, what does that mean? And the rappers are like, what do you mean? And Chatter's like, you see, Julius Caesar was a man of the people. He was on. He, he had the he had the ear of the the Roman the 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 gentry, whatever the flotsam and jetsam, the the people on the street. That's what that's what Julius Caesar. That was his power. Just like Martin Luther King, he had a dream, and everyone on the streets. They followed him. You know, African Americans were provided a dream they didn't have by Martin Luther King, and they were rising up. And Julius Caesar posed a threat to the Roman Senate. And with that kind of power, they had no choice but to kill him. They murdered Julius Caesar just like they murdered Martin Luther King. And Rated R jumps up and goes, that's what happens in the hood, man. You get too powerful and someone busts a cab in your ass. <laughs> and then he goes, he goes, I feel you will. Like they called him Will. Oh and he God. just he just hugs Shatner. <laughs> he, he won the room. He, I, I, I imagine he can win any room. It was un- the and then Shatner looks at him and he goes, Why don't we lay down some fat beats? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm in love with this story. I'm, I'm ki- I kid you not. This is the greatest uh, story I've ever been told on the show. That's it. I kid you not. And then, the, and then the, the end of that story is when, when it came to film the rap scene, when it came to film the rap scene, Shatner was going to wear, it's at a party, and Shatner was going to wear like a sport coat and a nice shirt. Shatner walks up to me <laughs> with a velour, purple velour tracksuit mm. with, a, with a logo on it and, yes. and gold chains. And he's, he says, Rob, uh, how'd you feel about me wearing this in the scene? How about I come to the party wearing this? And I said, Bill is an actor. I, I think it's an important choice you're making. Your wardrobe is an important <laughs> choice. And I feel that that would actually be great. And, and if it's your choice, I think we should go with it. Secretly, I'm going, yes. 
That's amazing. This is the greatest thing ever. You know, and it's so funny because in the movie, he kind of walks in in the scene, and he's he's. I don't think he's he's looking down at himself, and he's kind of playing with the gold chains. Uh, I could see him in his mind when we were shooting this. I think he was thinking, "What the hell am I wearing? Why am I why am I done this?" But it was great because his first line, he walks in the party and goes, "Am I cool?" You know, and that was we were off to the races. So it was. I mean, making that film was it was a dream come true, and it was hilarious. I mean, it was. And it was interesting because when it came out, we won a lot of awards and it played a lot of festivals. And I thought uh, Quentin Tarantino saw it at the Hawaii Film Festival and cornered me at a party (laughs) for like an hour. He'd seen the movie once and knew every line of dialogue that Shatner. Well, let me just say uh, one thing about your film that probably led to that is it's a movie guy's movie. It's loaded Uh, beginning to end with references to movie. They they talk like we talk as Uh movie guys. Uh You can't get, you know, a conversation away without a bunch of quotes, a bunch of references and a bunch of, he called somebody a, a name from some movie. And so Tarantino, you know, is that kind of guy. Yeah. So I'm not surprised by that. What happened? Mm-hmm. No, it was great. And so I thought I would have a career. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Okay, so, so it didn't happen. So yeah. silly, so I, silly rabbit. You know, because I, I co-wrote, directed, and edited the film. And you know, you're getting you you get all these accolades, and you mm-hmm. go to festivals, and it has no bearing on whether or not the movie makes any money. We didn't get distribution for a long time. Mm. And when the movie was put out, it was the first acquisition from this company called Regent that they didn't. There was no P&A budget. Nobody knew that it was opening. And it was opening the same weekend with The Phantom Menace. Mm. And, and oh. they, they figured, like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cannibalize each audience. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really the <laughs> same audience. I mean, it kind of is. And, and no, Whoa, nobody knew. No, and, and so the film, they opened it in nine theaters in L.A. with no P&A budget oh. in, in New York. I'm like, open it. I was like, open it in one theater. Yeah. And, yeah. and it'll get a good, good per screen average and it'll have mm-hmm. a, a life. Well, it didn't. And um, isn't there an email list for Star Trek fans somewhere well, that you right? can just tell, tell them. them? Unfortunately, it was it was really the internet was not what it is today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think if we'd made it, and the geek singularity hadn't happened yet, yep. mm. and it was very specific. And unfortunately, I mean, people who find it, there's a there's a small but very devoted fan base to the film that you know I hear from literally every day. <laughs> but it didn't, and we were going to make a sequel in 2010. We were two days away from principal photography, but oh, we huh. lost our funding. Ugh. So. But it was fun. I have no regrets. Because you have worked a ton. So let's get to some of the other things uh, that you did. You produced Agent Cody Banks. That was, uh, one day I'm going to write the story. I had a film company, and it was me and a a wonderful lady named Carrie David, who's a producer, and a guy named Danny Gold. And we bought that script from a limo driver. (laughs) And then I had... Every limo driver's dream. He's like, I keep uh, telling people my story. Like you said, everybody's got one. You You got a pitch. A limo driver, we got the script, and it was the script was okay. Then I brought my friends in, um, Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz, to rewrite the script. Now, they went on to write Thor and X-Men First Class. I was going to say, I know the name Zach Stentz. Yeah, and Zach wrote, he wrote Kevin Smith's episode of The Flash this year. So they're great writers. They've written novels now. And they rewrote the Cody Banks script, and basically it was James Bond meets Ferris Bueller. That was what yeah. it was. Frankie Muniz. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. And then, and then, and we, the three of us, were going to be the producers of this movie, but there's a long, convoluted story that would it, would, it would take me hours to tell it. But we did flip the movie to MGM, and it got made, and it touched off a legal battle that's so, it's mm. so, this crazy legal battle that cost me a whole lot of money. And it was brutal because Madonna is a producer on Agent Cody Banks. Mm. Jason Alexander is a producer on oh Agent Cody Banks. Is that how many hands it went through? Or did well, some company come up between was, those two? There was multiple <laughs> companies that got involved. But I will say this. 
if you ever watch the first Agent Cody Banks, mm-hmm. the, the main titles take place at the end of the film. All of the producers share title cards. And in Hollywood, if you have it, what's called a single card credit, if your name appears on the screen by itself, that means you've done, there's something significant. So there's thir- you won the lawsuit. There's yeah, there's thirteen. Well, <laughs> there's thirteen producers on Agent Cody Banks. And wow. If you watch it, I'm the only one with a single card credit. Oh. Now I'm a co- I'm co-producer, mm-hmm. but my name is emblazoned across the screen, and it was. And same is true of the sequel as well. I'm the only single card credit producer, but I could write a book about what happened. But- with those movies, did, did that happen? Because the movie, I seem to remember that that movie was kind of a surprise hit. Like it was it, of, of its week or two that, that you know. It, it, it was the the problem was when the studio got it. This is typical Hollywood for you. They decided to make it a movie for tweens, mm-hmm. and they wanted it, but for for eight to twelve year olds as opposed to teenagers and college students. Yeah. Mm. And it was written as this really cool action adventure film. Um, that was for uh, like a, a Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller, was oh, somebody totally. who was between you know eighteen and twenty to play, and the studio just changed it, and they'd already bought it. I mean, we the studio was interested in it and bought it in February of two thousand three, and it was in production by May, and that oh. just doesn't happen. Is no. this oh, yeah. is this before or after Spy Kids? I believe this was because they may have well, seen the money sh- from that and said be, let's it, get it, it into it might be a, production. might have been before i'm not I, that's yeah. a, that's a good question i'm not or, sure mm-hmm. but then they made a sequel within the same year mm-hmm. so it was good i mean we all but but it was it was it was it started out like a great idea then it became this really rough this rough thing but unfortunately the movie the script was so good and then the movie is compromised and then the second one is terrible mm. yeah. just terrible even though I'm pretty sure I shouldn't talk <laughs> you know, I really had nothing to do You'll about the, the, the second one <laughs> yeah so but but it was an interesting story seeing that uh, making a movie at the studio level and seeing what happened yeah. and how it all worked out especially and, since you had made free enterprise which was an independent release right yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I had worked in low budget the low budget arena all through the nineties and things like that. But it was, it was a really interesting learning experience. And I look back and I think, wow, that really actually happened. And then (laughs) it did have a huge premiere. You know, I was married at the time. We, my wife and I got to go to this big Hollywood premiere and it was pretty cool. You You actually knew it was a premiere. You weren't like Paul. and Yeah, no. (laughs) Was Madonna there? Were any of those other producers there? She was not, Madonna was not at the premiere. I think Jason Alexander was, but Madonna was not at the premiere. She's probably touring. Mm-hmm. But it was cool. I mean, it was it was um, it was a, it was a really good experience. But it's it's weird because I get calls now that a lot of my friends I grew up with have kids, oh. and like they don't know I worked, and they're like somehow watching Agent Cody. Mm-hmm. And I'll get I'm like, oh, it's on cable now. So <laughs> where's my residuals? You know? I just saw your name single card across the screen. <laughs> it made me know what's going on. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was an interesting experience. I mean, I do think that Hillary Duff and, and Frankie Munez did do a great job. You know, and, and they did cast the first movie pretty well. Mm-hmm. So uh, it just, you know, it wasn't, a, it should have been a much smarter film. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, I hate how Hollywood so often dumbs their movies down. Like oh, when, yeah. when we were kids, yeah. we, like Luke Skywalker was who I wanted to be when I was 10. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. want to look at another 10 year old. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to go see a movie about somebody my age. I wanted to see somebody in a movie that I might grow up and become. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this mistaken idea that kids have to be talked down to either they have to be talked mm-hmm. down to or they're all like bart simpson mm-hmm. and kids are all you know holier it, they're they're another aspect of kids on screen that we bring up on the show a couple times uh, we have a couple few times at least is that often kids in movies are playing kids 
And you could tell right away, oh, that's just instead a kid just playing a kid instead yeah. of being a kid. Exactly. And I don't know if they're directed that way, and, but perhaps. And there is something, and we've all met child actors in Hollywood, there is something disgusting about a kid who doesn't know how to be a kid, but was trained in how to act like one. Yeah. There's some weird thing, you're like, yeah. his youth was completely removed to be in the process of becoming a child star, and in that process, he only knows how to relate to what kids are by what his acting coach told him. It's, it's yeah. like, kind of sad. You're like, no, and it it was the, the Cody Bank script started out. It, it had an opening scene where there's this the car r- runs away and he's on a skateboard and it sort of is how it was in the script, but it wasn't cool, mm. you know. And, and the idea of Agent Cody Banks was, what if James Bond was the most bi- the, a kid James Bond was the biggest badass in the world, but someone forgot to teach him how to talk to girls, <laughs> so he he could do everything in the world, but he just didn't know how to talk to a girl his own age, and he had a mission where he had to get close to a girl his own age. But it was not done in a cool way. It was done in sort of a kitschy way. And the whole script went from being really cool to being kitschy. And that's what... That sounds like a perfect homage to James Bond. That's one facet of James Bond. But this kid wouldn't have that because right. he's that age. I right. Mean, okay. I could see how that would get... And girls still have cooties. <laughs> yes. And that's... <laughs> the, yes. Let's go. Q will give you something to get rid of the co- cooties. Uh, here, right. are, here are your mission uh, briefing. Let's fly through a few other things here going back. Sort of just, just well, to, let's go back to Star Trek. As we mentioned, the Star Trek experience, for those of you who don't know what that was, it was a huge, uh, eventually two part Star Trek immersive experience at the Las Vegas Hilton that included an adventure on the Enterprise, on the bridge where uh, Klingons were involved, I believe, in mm-hmm. that one. And then they had a whole separate Borg experience where you were chased down the hall by Borgs. You ended up in a 3D Chase. fight with screens everywhere. In a, you're, in, you're in space. It was amazing, and it's gone. It, like and a Halloween night where sad. people were dressed like the Borgs chasing you, or is it all video? No, it's a combination of both. There's plenty okay. of video screens showing yeah. you stuff. Like, and you're and on the bridge. And there were actors, too. But there were actors it. walking down the hall coming at you. And, oh. and your guide, who's like, hey, everyone, come with me. Well, not the guide. He's like a, a USS... Uh, a red Enterprise shirt. person. He's a red shirt. <laughs> yeah, Come with yeah. me, guys. And suddenly a Borg will suck him up into the ceiling. You never see the guy again, and yeah. you continue on your adventure. And the, the neat thing is, there's a restaurant right next door where those little guys come up and, and serve you. Who are those guys? Oh, um, Fringy. Fringy. Quartz, Quartz Bar. Bar. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, of course. And Klingons would come up and yell at you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that was, that was an amazing uh, landmark entertainment. Uh, a guy named Gary Goddard who actually directed the Masters of the Universe movie in the late 80s. <laughs> why do I know that name? His, that's why I know his that company, name. Landmark Entertainment, builds attractions all over the world. They, they built casinos in Macau, and uh, they were building the $80 million Star Trek experience attraction with you know in conjunction with, with Paramount Parks. And it was an amazing... What was really cool about it was they came up with this transporter effect where you'd get into mm-hmm. one room, yeah, and, cool. and the lights would flicker, and the wall, the, the room you were standing in, would be yanked up and then you're really on the transporter room, and it was a great effect oh, because you wow. felt this. It whoosh. happened so fast too. And it was yeah. this whoosh, and you felt like you were actually mm-hmm. transported. It was really done, very cool. But what I did was they wanted all these videos cut, like they they had a Klingon exhibit and a Romulan exhibit, and they literally found me from this internet video. I'm this rudimentary YouTube video. I had well, it's on YouTube now, but it, there was no YouTube back then. But I made this video called Star Trek Experience. There's a very low or Star Trek Eternal. Pardon me. Star Trek Eternal, this low-res thing I did in a day. And it got sent around to people, and they had, somehow they got it, and they called me in, and they, they actually said to me, they're like, okay, um, well, how well do you know Star Trek? And I said, well, you know, I know pretty well. <laughs> and, and they're like, well, if we were going to look for, say, a shot of a, of a Klingon and a Romulan together, maybe fighting, where would we look? And I said, well, 
that doesn't happen too often, but I would look I'd look first to the sixth season next generation episode, Birthright Part Two. <laughs> just off the top of my head, just yeah. guess. Well, it was. It was and, come and, to the right place. And it was funny. Yeah. The guy looks at me and he thought I was putting him on, and I said, "No, no, no." And he had like there was a wall of three quarter inch tape, and I went and you know found it. I'm like, "No, it's right here. This is the episode." And I explained there's a there's a Romulan colony that the, these Klingons have been prisoners for years, and and there's a wharf shows up and. Tries to teach the Klingons how to be real Klingons. And there's a little bit of scuffling going on, so maybe there's a shot of a Klingon or a Romulan trying to stab one another. I'm not, I'm not sure what the exact shot you'd want is, but that's where I'd look first. And the guy just goes, "You're hired." <laughs> and and, and uh, it was it was great because I got paid fifteen hundred dollars a week, oh, and for nice. the first six months, all I did was watch Star Trek episodes and <sighs> digitize them into the computer cool. because I had to edit everything, mm-hmm. you know, and and it was. It was all 79 episodes of the original series, 80 if you include The Cage, all 70, 178 episodes of Next Generation, the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine, and the first year of Voyager. So that was what they had had at the time. And all I did, like, I just watched Star Trek for six oh. months, and then I just started cutting Star Trek stuff. Like, I did a video that so had great. every Star Trek planet, every uh, for the original series, every girl Kirk kissed, every planet, every <laughs> alien, in one five-minute video that they didn't end up using. They said it was too much original series, which killed me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that was great. But that's a shame. I would love to know, again, where all those sets are. I mean, well, the they, bridge. They, they, mm. The bridge, they, they trashed a lot of that stuff, and there was oh. actually an auction. They oh, had an good. auction um, that they sold a lot of it off, and... Well, that's good. Yeah. Somebody ended up with it. It was great. Uh, you are you're sporting a T-shirt that says Axanar, and this uh-huh. is uh, uh-huh. for a fan film you're making. Oh God, the the scourge. Yes. So uh, a couple years ago in 2014, when I was working on I was working on the documentaries for the Star Trek: The Next Generation Blu-rays, two friends of mine, Christian Gossett, who's a comic book artist, he made a comic called The Red Star. That's great. Uh, uh, an alternate history of a future Soviet Union. And um, and then there's a friend of mine named Alec Peters who ran that auction. He sells a lot of Star Trek props. He ran the auction to sell the Star okay. Trek experience stuff. So the two of them were making this Star Trek fan film called Prelude to Axanar, which you can see on YouTube. And, and Prelude to Axanar was this very cool um, precursor to what was going to be a feature film called Axanar. And... and uh, it was it was Axnar was mentioned in passing in a couple episodes of the original series, and then you see Ak- people from the planet Axnar in an episode of Enterprise. So this was a the uh, battle, a decisive battle where the first war between the Klingon Empire and the Federation was decided, and it took place 21 years before the original series. And the first thing we're going to do is this 21 minute short film that was going to be done documentary style, like it's a documentary that came from the 23rd century. So. They, they asked for $10,000 on Kickstarter, and they got $100,000 oh to make this movie. And they hired, like, Tony Todd, who's Candyman, and who played Kern in Next Generation. They hired Richard Hatch, who was Apollo on the original Battlestar Galactica, and Kate Vernon, who was in Battlestar Galactica, the new Battlestar Galactica, and, and a Gary Graham, who played Soval on Star Trek Enterprise, would come back and play Soval 80 years older. And quick shout-out to Richard Hatch for his role in the new Battlestar Galactica where he was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. As cheeseball as you might call the original Battlestar Galactica, man, when he came on that new one, he was fantastic. Oh, he was great. So, well, they made this movie. You know, we, we made Axar. I was the editor. They asked me to edit it. And we did it like, it's like a documentary from the 23rd century. And it, it turned out great. You know, and it, it's won 47 film festival awards. And it has over two and a half million views on YouTube. Wow. 
But we used that short film to raise money to do the feature version. Mm -hmm. We raised in two different crowdfunding campaigns $1.2 million. And so what's happened is we use that money to do things like like we said we were going to secure a studio facility that uh-huh. we were going to build our sets. And it became very controversial. And even though everybody – look, no one was getting paid to work on this movie at, at mm-hmm. first. Alec Peters, the, who's running the whole thing, became a very controversial fi- figure because he released the financials. Like when somebody gives you $1.2 million, you want to make sure they know what the money's going for. And Alec announced that $38,000 of that money was going to him to run this project. And anybody who's ever managed money, like he's got, he, he has to run, he has to do something with that $1.2 million. His, he, he's the IRS, he's beholden to the IRS, bank accounts, all that stuff. So that was what he took for a year's worth of work. And in LA, that's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But he, and he announced that. He announced the financials, and then everybody went bananas. And Paramount got involved, and in De- on December 30th, we were a month away from filming the movie, uh, they sued us. Paramount has sued us for copyright violation. And they're coming after not only us, there's a lot of other Star Trek fan films on the internet. If you look up Star Trek Renegades, or Star Trek Continues, or Star mm-hmm. Trek The New Voyages, people are playing Kirk, Spock, and McCoy on beautiful full-scale bridge sets and everything. Well, it basically caused a rift in the space-time community, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and the fan world... We are hated, basically, because people think that we're bilking our fans for money, which is ridiculous because if you look at everything we've done, we're total Star Trek fanatics. I mean, I've been a fanatic my whole life. And, like, we gave perks away for our Kickstarter campaign. We gave out cool patches, and we have spaceship models and things that we our, our ships are made up. Like, we made them up. They're from the Star Trek universe, but they're our designs. Mm-hmm. And the patches were our designs, so they don't say Star Trek on them. But Paramount came after us and we've been in a lawsuit since for seven months and last week uh well, what happened in may jj abrams at a star trek fan film event said he heard about axanar and he got up at this big event on the paramount lot and said the lawsuit was going away he was going to make it go away and so everybody thought it was going to go away well it hasn't gone away oh. and i think jj abrams spoke a little prematurely because you know he was trying to promote the film and he thought that it would, would be taken care of but it's not taken care of and it's still going on and then paramount released these fan film guidelines last week they've uh, they, they've last turned, week this is ripped from the headlines I, I i i knew where this was going yeah i just and, read about this and the, the fan film guidelines are to say they're draconian is an understatement you ruined everybody's good time is what it looks yes like. <laughs> they you can never make i could, one of the fan film guidelines says if you've ever worked professionally for star trek or cbs or paramount you can never work on a fan film so this project, I can't work on my own fan film anymore, according to their guidelines. And all the other groups that are making Star Trek episodes, they can no longer do these things. So Paramount basically came in and said, none of you can do what you're doing because people were hiring old Star Trek actors that yeah. were coming back and playing their roles. And But the thing was, at the end of the day, these films are given away for free. Yeah. You know, we put them out on the internet for free. They do not generate any kind of income. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing that at the end of the day... There's been a lot of people talking about, well, you took in so much money, you guys are lining your pockets. I assure you, we are not lining our pockets. What we wanted to do was I wanted to direct an epic science fiction film that looked like it cost $150 million for 1% of that budget, Hmm. you know, to show people what I was capable of. Because no one in Hollywood, no one would let me 
near an epic science fiction fantasy film that requires lots of special effects because people would say, what do you know about them? Doesn't it seem like Paramount is missing the boat here? Really, what they could do is take all these fan films under their wing and make the profits themselves. Well, I think they absolutely should. They're they're launching a new... Because there's obviously an audience for it, obviously. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's 2.5 million people that watched our, yeah. our thing. And now if all of them, you know, paid... Four dollars. Mm-hmm. You know that's not some. That's not bad on a hundred thousand dollar investment. And the new Star Trek TV series that launches in January is going to be on CBS's new streaming service, All Access. So the only way you could watch it is if you pay six dollars mm-hmm. for a subscription. Now I don't know if that's necessarily going to work, but like you just said, why wouldn't they take the fan films? Make a fan film channel. Yeah, have all that content. So are you saying it, it will be on CBS, but if you don't have cable, you can get the $6, or it will be no, s- it's only, only streaming? streaming. Oh, They're going to show the pilot episode on CBS, but then the show is going to be only streaming because everybody wants their own wow. Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the problem with that, I think, though, is you're only going to get CBS shows. You're not going to have the diversity of yeah. what a Netflix is going to give you. Right. And if you know if Star Trek is the only thing you're interested in, Star Trek is, I'm I'm I, I really am excited about the new show because Brian Fuller is the showrunner. He worked on Deep Space Nine and he worked on Voyager, but he also worked on things like Pushing Daisies and Hannibal. And I oh, loved okay. Hannibal. If you know that show, Hannibal was an incredible reimagination reimagining of Thomas Harris. They made all of Thomas Harris's Hannibal Lecter books, um, Red Dragon. Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, and Hannibal Rising were all turned into movies, and Red Dragon was turned into two movies. Um, he did a series where he mixed and matched and sort of spun all of that mythology in, in a blender and put it on its showed us a showed us a new version of that. And if he does that with Star Trek, I think it's going to be yeah, great. It's what you want with the Star Trek because there's so much mythology, but so many angles that haven't been. No, and they have announced yeah. that they're going to do 13 episodes, and it's going to be one long serialized story in the format of television of today, which I think right. is great. But Star Trek is an expensive proposition because you can't buy anything off the rack. Everything has to be made. Costumes, props, uh, the sets. There's nothing that, that comes. You can't go shoot in a room. So it's inherently expensive. And if every episode's 6 to $8 or $10 million, that's a lot of money that they're going to have to put up with this show. And if, if I, I think there's a lot of people... The Star Trek is an aging fan base. Mm-hmm. The new Star Trek films have not brought... I mean, people like them, but there's no people aren't. They're not really excited the way they are about classic Star Trek or or Star Wars. Hey, will this help? I hit a wall. I never felt so low, so low. This seems like a first. The new Star Trek movie will have a Rihanna song in it. It sound. I mean, that sound. I like the song, but it's to me, it's like you. Is it a credit song though? They yeah, don't. They probably. don't. They don't. Uh, raindrops keep falling on my head. Uh, ride a bicycle. Yeah, I, I enjoyed hearing sabotage. You know, in the first one. Uh, yeah, I sure. I, uh, you say sabotage. I say <laughs> sabotage. That actually is a double reference there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I. You know, I think that the thing about here's here's what I think is different from what they're trying to do. Star Trek was always about human excellence. Human beings in the Star Trek universe were always the best of the best. You had to be the best, most capable person to have that job to be on a starship to go out into the final frontier. It's survival of the fittest, and those are the fittest. They were the fittest, and they were the best of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that idea 
is something that we've lost. Like people don't want to say you have to go out and be great. Oh no, no, we can't do that because everybody's not everybody's a special flower. So mm-hmm. millennial. Yeah, and that's I think that's mm-hmm. the problem. And you, if you turn Star Trek into like one of the things about Star Trek 09 I was not a big fan of is Spock is emotional. I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to beam you off the ship and maroon you on a planet. Like who does that? Mm-hmm. I mean, what universe does does our military or paramilitary structure and discipline work that way? And I, I just, I, I miss, when I was a kid, I'm like, one day I want to grow up and be those people. And I didn't see a lot of that in modern Star Trek. Mm. And I think that's what's really missing from what they're doing with the franchise. What's wrong with excellence? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with demanding? It was utopia in right. a way, right? Yes, absolutely it was. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a view of the future. You know, Gene Roddenberry famously once said that the future of Star Trek um, uh, no one will be hungry, and every child will know how to read. You know, and that's what he was talking about. And um, I think that's something that's a message that t- to be lauded, and we should we should aspire to that. I mean, what's wrong with aspiring? Look, not at, in an election year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> if you Instead look, we aspire to the purge. No, yeah. I know, and it's 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 really it's really sort of unfortunate in that these new Star Trek movies. I mean, Kirk's riding a motorcycle again in this movie. And I love Justin Lin. I love the Fast and the Furious movies, especially Tokyo Drift and Fast Five. I do. But, um, you know, and I hope Star Trek Beyond is great. I really do. But it's, it's like, look, it's, it's just different from what's... They're trying to change the very essence of what Star Trek is. I've had this discussion numerous times with numerous Star Trek fans. And uh, I, it, what's interesting is, yes, that is what Roddenberry... Wanted, and that is what Star Trek The Next Generation did give us, right? That is the real Roddenberry Star Trek. The unfortunate thing about the original Star Trek is as much as you would like that, is as much as Roddenberry wants that, they cast William Shatner, and he punches people, and we love that William Shatner-ness of it. And I feel like the the Star Trek, I'm like, all right, we're back to Shatner. Cool. That was that was fun. Deep Space Nine was fun. That was good. That was kind of Roddenberry-esque. You know, Voyager, very much a, a Roddenberry-type adventure. You know, very slow, very uh, nicely paced, and uh, I felt good about uh, uh, them at the end of each adventure. I kind of go could go for Shatner punching a couple We're punching guys. again. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but no, I, I agree. Look, it was an action adventure show. It was, but at the end of the day, you know, you had yeah. these these three men. Um, uh, they did what they could, and sometimes people need to get punched. <laughs> you know what helped make it a utopian society? No money. Am I right? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. true. I mean, they did bring money back into it later. You know, like the Ferengi were always looking for gold mm-hmm. press latinum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they didn't need money, especially in the final frontier. Like where, you, where your currency, what planet are you going to land on? Oh, yes, we take American dollars here, please. <laughs> Just euros. That's yeah, all. Yeah. It's, but I, I, it was interesting because I think the, Star Trek that the, the, the Star Trek philosophy <laughs> is something that I think our civilization could use more of. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, t- tolerance and excellence and, you know, just don't be a dick. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it don't was all about. Don't be a dick. <laughs> all right, we're uh, running out of time, but, but did you ever meet Anton Yelchin? I never did. I never met. It's very sad what, what happened yeah, to, to him. Was I horrible. mean, it was Fair. really, but everyone, by all accounts, I, I know people that know him. They said he was the nicest guy in the world. And he actually has, in Star Trek 09, he has my favorite moment in that movie when, when Vulcan is about to be destroyed by Nero's drill mm. they ask Anton Yelchin you know they ask Chekhov well how long does the planet have and he says you know minutes minutes and when he says it he's ho- so horrified he can't mm. even he's trying to comprehend what this means 
how one of the founding members of the Federation is about to be destroyed, and it, you hear it. That performance is it's just a one little line. It's one of those mm. actor things that you just. It's what make movies great when you see mm. a performance and you're like, wow, he really nailed nails it. But with look, so little dialogue, with so little yeah. dialogue, and I think that. You know, he was he was demoted down to engineering in the last movie. They, they put a red shirt on him, but now he's back into command gold. So I think it's a fitting tribute to him. So, although well, the irony, the original TV show did not start with Chekhov, and they added Chekhov because of the popularity of uh, one of the monkeys, right? Dave, wasn't that it, Davy well, Jones? Well, they, or, he or? looks like that, but they were criticized in Russia. The Russians actually criticized Star Trek for not having a Russian on the show. Oh. <laughs> Because they had well, him. then I mean, he, you, you're going to hear from everybody, yeah. <laughs> right? But that's why they added him. But yes, they they made him look like Davy Jones because they wanted kids to. Oh yeah, dig yeah, it. okay, I got you. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listen. Uh, oh, real quick, what is your? Uh, we ask this of everybody who comes on the show. What's your favorite movie of all time? Well, I have two, but mostly The Godfather and The Godfather Two yeah. are, are my are my favorite yeah. movies of all time. Not I, the first time it's been mentioned. I vacillate <laughs> between that and A Clockwork Orange. Oh. Those two movies are are for for different reasons. How old were you when you saw that? I'll tell you, A Clockwork Orange. I saw A Clockwork Orange when I was uh, fourteen years old. I was about the same man. It's and about that, the perfect that's age, when it can right? really leave an impression. It's an anarchy. <laughs> it blew my mind, and it was the very first movie I because I had seen it in this book of science fiction films, like pictures of, and there was no way to get it. And then Warner Home Video released it on on video. And I remember taking it home because I'd always seen it in these picture books, these science fiction film books. And I was perplexed by it when I first saw it. I was blown away, but it was the first movie I ever watched twice back to back. I watched it well, sitting there and re- rewound it. And I watched it like 20 times. And I was reading about Stanley Kubrick and what it all meant. And then I went and read the book. And the Nadsit language is, it has a glossary because half the, they're yeah. speaking this mishmash of Russian and English. And I'm like, it was hard to read, but. The idea of, of, of it's better for mankind to have free will, even if you choose to do evil, than it is to have free will taken away from you, mm-hmm. was still, I think, one of the great wow. profound statements. And even as a kid, I'd show it to my friends like, yeah, well, after all the violence and stuff, it gets boring. I'm like, no, that's when it gets interesting. Oh. It's very misunderstood. I've heard that misunderstood recently. Someone's saying, oh, it's just all about beating people up and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's not. Actually. But. We don't need to discuss it yeah. because if that's all you got out of it, then, then not, what are we going to discuss? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, uh, there's just too much to talk about because we yeah. didn't even touch on your uh, work with uh, Brian Sup- Singer Superman and uh, Comic-Con and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> you going this year? Oh, yeah. This will oh, be yeah. My, this, my, my 28th Comic-Con. Oh, nice. gr- so you've watched it grow up. I mean, this oh. used to be an obscure mm-hmm. thing. The first time I went, there was like 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. You know, and, Now uh, you can't walk through the floor. No. Now there's it's, what, like 300,000? It's, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like every day there's 150,000 people or something. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But it's nice to see multi-generations of parents with their kids. And, and the geek singularity has happened. Everyone's a geek now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, it's no longer yeah, stigmatized. What does that even mean anymore? I just saw a, a headline for uh, one, one of these uh, websites that said, uh, Nerds rejoice, there's a new Star Wars trailer. And I reposted that and wrote, you keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. Because, and that's a weird thing to even understand. It's only like a geek site. And it's like, why would you say nerds would be excited about Star Wars? It's super popular. Everybody, yeah, every, every kid goes through a Star yeah. Wars rite of passage. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. I'm going to buy an annual pass when Disney opens Star Wars land because, man, I'm going to live uh. there. 
him to go to the idea of walking onto the when Kevin Smith told that story of walking onto the Millennium Falcon when they were shooting The Force Awakens. And of course, he's such a great storyteller. But as a Star Wars fan, like I've really read into like, yeah, you're walking onto (laughs) the Millennium Falcon. I'll tell you, even just walking into the wizarding world of Harry Potter and suddenly Mm -hmm. everywhere you go is scored by John Williams. I'm Uh, like, this is the great. Can I get this everywhere, please? Right. I want my life to be scored by John Wayne. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, take things home with Karen's birthdays. Karen's weekly look at the birthdays yes. of those who make the movies. Take it away! That theme is made by the great Mike Nichols, who's sitting in on the God Mike tonight. Thank you, Michael. All right, so we're going to get things going by wishing a very happy birthday to Margot Robbie. She oh, turns 26. Uh, of course she does. Yes, 26. And she can play anywhere from gorgeous to a plain Jane. She was originally an Australian actress. Did you guys know that she was Australian? Oh, nope. Yes. <laughs> yes. I did. She appeared I thoroughly researched her. Always a the, surprise. <laughs> at the age of 18, she got her start in acting on a soap opera called Neighbors Down Under. Hmm. And then she did that for like 300 episodes. Did that for a long time. There then she go. moved 10, to 10,000 L- hours. <laughs> That's right. She did all of her work down there. Then she moved to L.A. where she was an ABC drama Pan Am. She oh, was in that, that show. Short-lived, yeah. but it was enough to get the attention of people in Hollywood. Based on the airline. Yeah, well, she based on the airline and corsets from the 60s. Then she got into About Time, starring Rachel McAdams and Bill Nighy, not the science not guy the he. Science guy mm-hmm. he. And, of course, The Wolf of Wall Street, where she comes to the door totally naked. And, Paul, she was in Whiskey Fango t- Foxtrot. Whiskey Tango, Tango Fox. Fox Trot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved her in that. That yeah, was yeah. really great. It was her and Tina Fey, and they, yeah. we had a really cool chemistry together. So she obviously can do comedy, too. She's which, Harley Quinn. And that's what I was just going to say. You have that to look forward to, though. It's interesting because she's going to play Harley Quinn, and the pictures are so sexy and crazy. It's oh, yeah. insanity. But she actually auditioned for Susan Storm, the Invisible Woman in a Fantastic Four, and that went to Kate Mara. They screwed up again. <laughs> right? I know you always Blew see it that movie. Again. I'm sure again. it's Margot Robbie somewhere going, I'm okay. It's okay. They keep yeah, blowing it. <laughs> but she did. This is kind of interesting. She turned down the role of Sam and Birdman, that um, the unexpe- uh, unexpected virtue of ignorance, which eventually went to Emma Stone. Oh, so, so she turned that role down, but it's kind of neat because she beat out Emma Stone for the role of Jane in the upcoming Tarzan movie. Oh, okay. oh. I do not think... See either those, of them would have been good in either, either of those movies. Either yep, movie. Yeah. Though I don't see them interchangeable as their look. It's I don't, such different yeah. looks. Yeah, absolutely. But I think they're both very talented. It's just it's interesting casting. But she's perfect in The Amazing Spider-Man. Right. The, the short-lived. The sh- right. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Garfield ones. <laughs> but, um, so we want to wish her a happy birthday. Did, right along did, with did another. Did you mention uh, Focus? Oh, I did. Right, Focus. Very entertaining movie. They kind of gets out with of control Will at the Smith, end. With Will Smith, right? But, man, is that oh, movie entertaining. Oh. Charming now, as hell. Looks great. It says on IMDb that it got mixed reviews, but her reviews were all praised, mm. praiseworthy. Yeah, the two leads are charming as hell. Again, she's yeah. funny. And Gerald yeah. McRaney is great in is that movie. Is he in that <laughs> oh, He's so great Gerald in that McRaney. movie. <laughs> well, I want to wish another beauty a uh, happy birthday. That would be Mr. Dan Aykroyd. Hey. He turns 64, but he can play anywhere from a... Uh, what, 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 what's that guy, Garvey? The Irvin Manway? Irvin Manway. Fred Garvin. To a Fred Garvin. Male, male prostitute. Male prostitute. Right on through amazing. to a Ghostbuster. Right on through to driving. You kill your own around. cow. Yeah. You cut your own steak. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you stun it, you cut it. <laughs> oh my God. And also, didn't he play uh, oh. What's Her Face whenever she cuts herself and blood just goes everywhere? Oh, God. Nonsense. Yes. Oh, Julia Child. That Julia is Child amazing. Classic. Oh, I just got the dickens out of my oh, thumb. I just got the dickens out of my thumb. Oh, my God. So, anyway. <laughs> 
he uh, he has a cameo going on in the new Ghostbusters movie that's being made, and he's also all about it, which makes me a little suspicious because I've seen his work as of late, and I'm not a big fan of his opinion anymore. Yeah. But let's hope he's for been- the best. Ackroyd has been all about every version that's been written since Ghostbusters yeah. 2. Yep. Yeah. yeah, he's very much into if it. there's a paycheck in it, he'll yeah. believe it. <laughs> <laughs> he also wrote but, the 350-page dr- draft that he initially turned into Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman that uh, had to be drastically rewritten. Yeah, <laughs> it, which, the one it in takes space, place right? in space. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought this was interesting because, you know, on IMDb, you're never sure exactly who's writing your IMDb. And sometimes I think the actors are. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen in the past where... It says some really strange stuff. But get this. On his IMDb, he has many medical things. He's ambidextrous, as evident by his left handwriting (laughs) experiments during the examination scene in Spies Like Us. So he had to learn to write with his left hand because they needed to in that scene. Then he's a victim of synctocatism, a birth defect that affects his eyes. Oh, Oh, wait, no. It affects his toes. They're fused together. So in Mr. Mike's Mondo video, he takes off his shoes and socks and reveals (laughs) this abnormality where his feet are kind of webbed. But then he was born with heterochromia where one eye is blue and one is green. Again, all on IMDb. Like crazy a very, killer. Most people, a very groovy mutation. Most people would write what television shows and what movies they've been in, but he keeps continuing with this. And then, as a child in the early 1960s, he was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome and Asperger's. And mostly that's what decided by the time Jeez. he was 14. Have all of him to a party. <laughs> So all of that. that he's done anything. It's impressive. <laughs> right? I wasn't aware of what he was up against. He has all of these these abnormalities. Good but for him. And lastly, on IMDb, <laughs> I found this interesting because I had hosted some uh, Razzie Awards this year. And he and M. Night Shyamalan are the only two men he's to direct themselves in performances that won a Razzie Award for Best Supporting Actor. Now, I ask you... What Razzie Award winning movie did he direct? I Dan Aykroyd. Yes? Uh, Anybody know? Uh, well, Vulcanvania was the original name of... Uh, uh, Nothing But Trouble. Nothing But Nothing Trouble. Trouble with yeah. Demi Moore, I believe. Yeah. And I what Chase. was the... I worked on that movie. Did you? I think that lost me a girlfriend. I swear. <laughs> it's not on my IMDb because I was working for Bill Young, the senior VP of feature production at Warner Brothers. Uh, wow. But I, I worked on that movie. That movie was crazy. Crazy. It was, it was originally called Trick House. Oh, I thought it was, it was Vulcan, no, Vulcan Vulcan It had yeah. like eight titles. Oh my god! But the set was amazing because yeah. all that set was built on the Warner Brothers uh, lot. I yeah, I, it's a great looking movie. Great poster. I like the poster. I, it, I, that that movie is astounding. <laughs> that is just like like neighbors. <laughs> the Dan Aykroyd neighbors. Like neighbors. It, it is just anything can happen at any moment, unconnected to any. It's a miracle. It's a kind of a miracle of film, really. It's a. That's <laughs> a crazy, crazy, crazy it movie. It's insane. That I hated. Yeah. <laughs> so did America. I took a. I took a. A, a, a year long girlfriend I had dated to that movie. Yes. That was the last movie we ever went to. I'm pretty sure she broke up with me. Because, because of that movie. <laughs> and the last thing I want to say about his birthday, because he spends every Canada Day, also his birthday, which is July 1st, performing some sort of civic duty in Kingston, Ontario. And mm. I find that just a very charming way to spend your birthday is to do some service for other people. He is a Canadian. He's kind of Mr. Awesome. So uh, the last thing I want to tell you is, uh, Paul, you know how much I love when celebrities sing. Oh, let me jump here and say, yes, you know, yes? Uh, Rob, there's two things people tell me about Karen Volpe. One is they ask her how her work is coming along on the Ghostbusters experience at the Las Vegas Hilton. <laughs> oh, it's coming along swimmingly. And the other thing is that, uh, you know, she, 
she says, they, they say to her, do you love to hear a celebrity sing? And she says, yes. I absolutely love it. And I this did that one, backwards. I did switch on it's that. Right, it's, it's usually Bart's bit, but yeah, you know, yeah. Paul's covering the best he can. <laughs> uh, I do want to say that I could have used anything. As a matter of fact, I found this crazy rap with Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. Do you remember that was a thing? <laughs> yes! I, I own that soundtrack. I love Dragnet like crazy. I love that. Was a great that. It was movies. good, but I couldn't help. I had uh, to go old school. City of Crime. City of Crime. You're not, <laughs> yeah. You didn't bring that? No. I can I, sing the whole thing. No, no. Good. I, I had to go old school, and we're going to give you... Strebeck, One of the greatest by... movies of all times for movies in 1987. Oh, yeah. I argue that to the grave. Oh, yeah. Even though, even though I did Rebel like Cup. that very much, and there's tons of Dan Aykroyd singing, I'm going to give you one of my favorite. It's a little Elwood Blues from Briefcase, full of blues, a little rubber biscuit. Yeah, you know, goof on nothing but trouble, as we may. This is gold. Well, that wraps well, another movie showcast, everybody. Together, we're the movie guys. Individually, we are. <laughs> Follow us at Twitter at the movie guys, Facebook.com slash the movie guys, mm. iTunes, Instagram, Google Plus, whatever. What? All that. We're there. Sure. LinkedIn. Sure, I post. Uh, thank you once again to all of our new listeners on WRFA Yay! 107.9 in Jamestown, New York. Please come back every Monday night at 8 p.m. Thanks to Rob Burnett. Yes! Oh, thank you. This is a great. Uh, I had so much fun. Thank you. Oh guys. man, these that, are some of the best Shatner stories. stories. Oh, that really great. And the Axenar thing is, I just read the article yesterday of everyone bitching about the new guidelines and saying oh. you've ruined everybody's good time in sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, you've ruined sci-fi. I, yeah. And to think that that's what I've done. I mean, I've been my, my I've been in service for. A year. It's like being a born again Christian and being told that Jesus doesn't like you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's oh terrible. my god, it's, it's terrible. terrible. We're we're uh, we're on the edge of uh, relevancy with stories like this. Huh. How about us? We are cutting edge. <laughs> I do have to tag one last thing on with it. your story is was so heartening that you grew up a Star Trek fan. You got beat up for wearing a Star Trek shirt back when you could back when that happened. Yeah. Back when it wasn't cool, uh, and and the fact that you. It ended up in a, making a movie with William Shatner. I just have to say to everybody in our audience who, who might listen because you want to make media like we all do, we all have lots of things we want to make, that if you keep your eyes on the prize and you really, it, 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 the things do come true. It gets very magical at points. I happen to work in conjunction with John Williams this summer and doing something for The Force Awakens. And I was just like, am I really watching Force Awakens? And, you know, it, it's just, I don't know. They're just, that your story felt very magical in the way that I think we've we've all touched a little bit. But I agree with that. So you're telling creative me, out there, Adam, are you telling it. me to keep writing my Lyle Lovett screenplay? Uh, yeah, yes. absolutely. And you keep know, loving Ghostbusters, and it's going to get crazy. As I like to say, be the captain of your own enterprise and there boldly go. go where you have never gone before. Yeah. Nice. To go out on. Uh, where can people find you on uh, social? Oh, you can find me at Burnett RM on Twitter, or you can find me on Instagram at RM Burnett, or just on Facebook at Robert Meyer Burnett. Nice. Cool. And what's the podcast that you also shot, uh, oh, recorded today? That uh, you can I, I'm yeah. always on. Oh, uh, it's on YouTube. It's called Collider Heroes. Yeah. Collider Heroes on the, for the Collider website. But I'm talking every week about science fiction and superhero, mostly superhero movies. Cool. And uh, you and you uh, are going to you. John Schnepp is frequently on that, or John always Schnepp on that? John Schnepp is the host. The host. He's okay, the that host. is okay. That's great. 
uh, who did uh, the Death of Superman Lives with uh, William Bryan, oh, and uh, yeah, talk yeah. about it all the time. We yeah. talk about it all the time, and actually, we got word out to him he's actually going to come be on the show cool. because great. I was like, for the 85th time, it has come up. Please come on the show. <laughs> and thanks to Steve Schultz for his writing contributions to the show every week. And as ever, we owe everything to Pat Happy. Peach. Didn't hear enough from Mike J. Nichols. How you doing, I Mike? Know. I'm doing good. How you doing? All right, that's the show. Remember, you can find everything we're up to at themovieguys.net. Next week, uh, oh, we're done with the, with the holiday weekend and on to new stuff. And we'll talk about it then. Woo!